Welcome to A Page in History. Join us on a fascinating journey as we delve into the memories of the world-famous NBC Pages. Get ready to hear first-hand accounts of their unforgettable experiences as they navigated the hallways of Burbank, California and the iconic 30 Rockefeller Plaza. Prepare to hear fascinating stories that were never meant to reach the ears of the general public. And now, your host for A Page in History, David Harris Katz. Prepare yourself for an extraordinary episode of A Page in History, because we have a truly captivating guest joining us today. This individual's journey from being an NBC page in the early 80s to becoming a supervisor is a tale filled with remarkable experiences and unbelievable stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat. Throughout his career, our guest had the privilege of working for Network News and NBC Entertainment Business Affairs. As a page, he rubbed shoulders with some of the biggest names in the entertainment industry, including Gregory Peck, Jimmy Stewart, Charles Bronson, Bob Hope, Milton Berle, and Sammy Davis Jr. From the Rose Bowl to iconic television shows like Cheers, Family Ties, and Taxi, he immersed himself in the thrilling world of show business. But it wasn't always smooth sailing. He'll talk about his encounter and an ugly dispute with a local celebrity at the Rose Bowl and how he witnessed the misguided assumptions of Faye Dunaway's hairdresser who couldn't distinguish a page from a parking attendant. He worked the space shuttle missions, contributed to the Super Bowl, and even received a call from NBC president Grant Tinker, who thanked him for being a real superhero and presented him with a token of the network's appreciation. He'll share anecdotes that showcase the real personalities of celebrities like Danny DeVito, who believed his fame entitled him to special treatment, and George Goebel, the beloved Hollywood star and frequent guest of Hollywood Squares, who had a fondness for cozying up to the bar. And let's not forget the taping of real people with none other than the legendary George Burns, or was it? And one night he played a vital part in The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, ensuring that Wayne Newton and his people wouldn't annoy the late night king during the show. Hear about his encounters with famous actors like Mel Brooks and Mac Davis, to whom he personally delivered revolutionary devices to. And hear the surprising connection between our guest and the Smothers Brothers, Plus, he'll tell us heartwarming tales of friendship with the delightful Betty White and the legendary Ed McMahon, as well as the sight of Cher frequently gracing the studio with her presence. Get ready to embark on an unforgettable journey through television history and the captivating life of an NBC page. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Baron Wellman. Thank you so much. That's my introduction. I hope I can live up to that. (laughs) Yeah, you've done so much. It's amazing. I mean, it's funny how in the 80s, um, and especially Cheers and Family Ties and all those great uh, Taxi and all those great uh, shows, um, it's funny because when you mention some of the older folks, and especially when I was a page, you know, I saw Sammy Davis Jr. And um, we had a, there's, a, there's a girl, Anula, who, who hopefully will be a guest on the show. She was a big fan of Sammy. 
and Frank and all those guys. And she got a chance to sort of meet them on the tonight show. So it's kind of cool that you were able to work with those folks, you know, um, closer to when they were in their prime. Yeah. So tell well, me, yeah, go on. No, I was just gonna say, I never stopped pinching myself the entire time. I, I was a page, you know, to be honest with you, it's just, it's just one unbelievable, incredible. I can't believe here I am in front of this person. I, I watched growing up and now I'm working with around them. And, you know, it's, it really is a humbling experience. You know? Right. You know? No, I totally agree. And it, it's funny you mentioned that because I will say, and I've talked about it often on the podcast, um, the fact that you could be in the, in the presence of literally the people that you grew up watching and having to either ask them a question or get them something or whatever you're doing or just having a nice conversation, it's, it's almost surreal. It almost doesn't even make sense. It's like, how am I sitting here having a conversation with whomever, you know, it's the weirdest experience. And I always said, you even mentioned um, in, in some of your notes that, you know, being a page was really the best experience of your life. I mean, would you say to this day that it was one of your, one of your favorites? I never had more fun and I never had, you know, every day was a new day as a page. You know, there were things that you did over and over again, but every day there was something that was going to come up that was going to be unique and special and be a memorable moment, you know? It might be one worth telling and it might be one that's just memorable to you. But right. every day, something like that happened to me as a page. And I, I would go back and do that job tomorrow in a minute. <laughs> right, isn't that funny? And it, and it's it's funny because the, I think somebody, uh, Ken Hommel, who's um, one of our uh, favorites on the show, he is into programming and he said, I guess for the 50th anniversary for SNL, which I worked the 15th anniversary, He's like, you know, no spouses are allowed. And I literally, I posted, I'm like, can I be a page? Like I would literally put a page uniform on today <laughs> to work yes. that show. So we'll talk about some of these things. So um, I guess we could talk about, I mean, there's, there's a million places to start, but um, let's talk about Cheers. Um, sure. Some of your experience with that. And I I, I even, we, we watched the taping of Cheers um, once, which was pretty extraordinary, but tell me about Cheers and Taxi and, and yeah. Family Ties. What did you do with well, that? Well, at that time, I'd, I'd come back from Network News. You know, I went to Network News for about a year and a half, and then uh, there was a budget cut. Uh, that was about the time that Nabet went to war with NBC over uh, news uh, positions. So I got laid off, and Eva Hawkins, our fantastic director of guest relations, took me back as a supervisor. And not too long after that, I got called into her office, and she said, we're going to start uh, sending crews over to Paramount on a regular basis. Uh, family Ties is over there. We've just taken over Taxi. And there's a new show. There's going to be a pilot called Cheers. And you're going to go do the pilot next week and um, so forth and so on. You know, and, and talk to Dorothy. She'll schedule it, you know, the scheduler. And, you know, who, who knew what Cheers was? I didn't know, you know. Right. I, I knew a couple. I, I asked who's on the show, you know. And I started to do a little research and I recognized Shelley Long's name. And I, I think I knew who Ted Danson was a little bit, but most of the other people were names I just didn't know or recognize. Maybe their faces, but didn't know them. You know, and you know when I showed up at Cheers with our crew, um, it just was. It was first of all, it was done in the Desi Lou studio where they did uh, I Love Lucy. So talk about history, right? We we're at the wow. Gower Street entrance, you know, to the Desi Lou lot. Uh, that is historic in its nature alone. Um, suddenly, you know, my job is to seat the the actors and uh, staffs guests, and then to bring the audience in. For the public and uh, the director is Jim Burroughs and uh, has gone on to be one of the greatest uh, uh, comedy uh, sitcom directors in television history and he's on the floor he looks a little like Bozo the Clown his hair is streaked back it's kind of wiry you know and he's and he's tall and he's bald on the top and he's running around 
like uh, like he's, he's looking at blocking angles and he's just intensely working the floor. I'd really never seen anything like that. And uh, I, I kind of watched him for a while. And then I had to talk to the Charles brothers. They introduced themselves, really nice uh, gentlemen that produced the show and kind of what they expected and how things were going to go. Introduced me to the associate producer who I'd kind of be dealing with. And, and, you know, the next thing you know, we ran the audience and, and uh, I, I thought, I'm going to watch the show. <laughs> this, is, this should be interesting. I want to see what it's like, you know. And it was phenomenal. I mean, it was just, a, it was an amazing comedy. The writing was crisp. The, the timing was excellent. Burroughs' direction was just phenomenal. The crowd laughed at everything. You know, it was just a, it was just a hit from beginning to end of that 29, whatever minutes it was that, that we ran film. And of course, that was shot on film. Yeah. So the cameras were gigantic and the blocking, the movement of the cameras was really, really something to watch. You know, sometimes two guys moving a camera, they were so big, you know, and heavy, these old film cameras. But it was an amazing experience. And and then, of course, it aired and everybody said how great it was. And then and now it's my turn to go back and, and start to they're going to have me do the show. I'm going to be the person that's going to run it. And uh, every week I'm going to be going because I, I now know the setup over there and, and I'm kind of set up. And, and I got to do it almost every week for the first year. I did every episode the first season. And then in the second season, some of the other supervisors were complaining a little bit like, why don't we get to do shows? Right. Right. So You're like, yeah, if it wasn't a hit, you wouldn't you'd be like, yeah, let him do it. <laughs> well, like, even in the second it. season, but still even into the second season, it wasn't still yet a hit. The, everybody knew how good it was. The quality was un, unquestioned, you know, and the, the critics were raving about it. And people who found it were sharing it with their friends. But ratings wise, it was in the dump. And if it hadn't have been for Grant Tinker and Brandon Tartikoff's, you know, the strategic decision early on in their partnership to let shows gain an audience yep. instead of three episodes, we see the trend. You know, uh, you know, uh, research says it isn't going to happen. Let's get rid of it. You know, they canceled a lot of shows based on what research said was going to happen. You know, right. how many good shows got canceled? You know, we'll never really know. Right. Because right. they didn't get a chance to find their audience. But Cheers was given a chance to find its audience. And it's one of the great success stories in television history. You know, And I can't tell you how much fun it was to work there. Everybody was just super, super nice. Because yeah. they didn't know they were going to be famous yet. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I say that facetiously, but, you know, they had yeah. no ego because they really hadn't done anything of any incredible significance that they were stars, you know. So it's right. Shelley Long had an accomplished career and Ted had done some nice work, but they had no idea what was coming, you know. And that first Christmas party, I think I mentioned in my notes, I they insisted I come to the Christmas party, even though, Ooh. you know, obviously it wasn't a day I was at work. And, uh, and they took over the bar. They hired a caterer and they came in and they turned the bar into a, into a party room. They took the, the fake booze out and put real booze in. And uh, the caterer had uh, uh, the, the servers and the, the employees were all wannabe actors. So they came out and did performances as the night went on. And one, one person came out, a guy came out dressed as Mae West and did a, a drag routine. And they put Ted Danson on his lap and he, he embarrassed the hell out of him for about 10 minutes. It was really funny. We were dying laughing, you know. Wow. It, was just, it couldn't have been more fun. The, the cast gave us all a a towel, a beach towel with the Cheers logo on it, red and green. And on the bottom, it said, Merry Christmas from the cast of Cheers. The entire yeah. crew got one of those. Uh, the, the, the Charles brothers gave us beautiful shoulder bags that were blue with a red piping and the Cheers logo. They were canvas bags. I've still got both of those. They've lasted forever. You know? Isn't it amazing? I mean, um, it just, uh, and I'll, I'll just touch on some of what you said. I mean, it's so weird. And I, we've talked about this also before, but it's, you know, the fact that you still have some of those items and still remember it fondly and just think about how long ago it was. Yeah. And, you know, and I, we, we sort of talk about, you know, doing things that you love in life and, you know, being on the set of cheers or, you know, working the show like you did 
um, it's one of those things, and I'll tell you about my experience, but it's one of those things where as even though some people are like, ah, who cares? You know, whatever. But if you're in television and you're and that's your passion, you know, being part of a a iconic show or or time in history that literally changed the face of television it means a lot you know and and giving and it's funny because giving a bag and i've done a lot of promotion stuff and i give away bags with with my show logos on them and shirts and things um and you just you know it's one of those things where it's nice to receive it nice to be, be appreciated um so it's so cool that you still have fond memories and 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 again it was it it, it simply was amazing and I'll just touch another couple of things. You mentioned just blocking um, for the listeners. Um, explain more about that because I think they 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 may not know what it means, and they also don't realize how long it takes to do a particular shot. So, yeah. if you can t touch on that, yeah. Well, Cheers, of course, would be would be taped straight through. I mean, it would be filmed. Uh, the scenes would be filmed beginning to end. They wouldn't stop unless there was a a real big screw up and then they would just reset and go on but you know it, it wasn't shot like one little line at a time so you know it's a it's a drama being captured on film live right and so the, the the position both of the actors and the cameras is critical to capture what's going on because there there could be sam could be at one end of the bar and norm could be at the other end and they could be talking across the bar and so the cameras have to kind of move a little bit to get that shot or be in the right spot and and so all that is rehearsed in the weeks in the days leading up to the final taping day, the, both the both the actors' movement, the blocking of their movement, and the camera are also blocked. You know, there's there's two people there assisting the camera operator. One is moving, and one is balancing and making sure that they don't run into anything. So they, they work as a, a very coordinated team. And uh, yeah. these shots are all lined up. They know where their marks are going to be for their first shot, their second shot, their third shot, their fourth shot. I believe we shot with four cameras, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, so it was, and you know, that's not a real big set either, a big studio. That's a very old studio. Desi Lu was probably built in the 30s or 40s, you know. So yeah. it's an older building and it wasn't set up for television at all. It was a, a strictly a film studio. And so it wasn't a lot of room, you know, they had to, we had to, a room is at a premium. And so movement, especially during the actual filming was really critical. And yeah. everybody had to know what was going to happen, not just the camera people, because if you're a sound person and you don't know the camera is going to be where you're standing now, you're going to get run over. They're not going to look out for you. you know? Right. They're coming. You know, you have to be out of their way. So, yeah, it was a ballet. It's, it's a ballet yeah. behind the camera. You know? Right. And I and I believe, you know, what's really cool is that if you look at the floor, uh, I believe on Cheers and, and on any other show, you sometimes see tape oh, yeah. on the floor. And those are the marks. So people hit their marks. There's right. physical marks on the floor uh, where the camera is going to be or the talent or whatever it is. So sometimes it is kind of funny to watch and be like, you know, you don't really notice. But if you look, you're like, wait a second, there's stuff all over the floor. And it's usually just like masking tape or something, which is and it's funny when they when they when they mark the floor and then they go, well, that's not going to work. And they just rip the tape up and they go, oh, it's over here. And then they, shoot, they just put it right back down. <laughs> you see that yeah. happen a lot, you know, in rehearsal, you know. Yeah, it's so funny. And the, my experience with Cheers, so, and I mentioned this also, you know, I went to Emerson College, God best, bless my parents and and everything. I, it was a fantastic school. And there was a lot of Emersonians that went to, uh, that that wound up in the business. I think the Burroughs, I don't know, they might have gone to Emerson, I forget. Uh, but somehow we we wound up, we went on this little Hollywood seminar and we went to Hollywood in, or California. 
and we met all it was you know the gower you said gower studios right it was sunset gower is that well no was? actually the sunset was... gower studio sunset gower was up at sunset and gower and then okay. down at um uh, is it melrose i think or was it yeah, melrose and uh, gower was was the desi lu studio part of the paramount lot so there was right. a gower entrance all the way down at melrose to get onto the desi lu paramount lot uh, okay. sunset gower was at the other end of gower up by sunset so same street but two different studios okay and i didn't know you know it's funny i remember when i moved into manhattan someone could say to go to this location not knowing that like some famous building could be like a block away i was just like i'm standing at this corner and i didn't really know where i was <laughs> so same thing in la i could have been next to anything and i had no idea but we wound up going so somehow we wound up going to paramount i guess or to that studio and we saw them uh either block the cameras for cheers or or i think we saw an episode i think i, I think we did see an episode they 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 uh recorded some of it but it was again it was an amazing thing and then also i went to you know the real bull and finch in boston which is on beacon hill which was the um you know cheers in the in the show sure yeah so it was kind of cool whenever they would shoot uh a scene on the exterior of the bull and finch they would cover the awning that and the other oh, words said the bull and finch and they put cheers in it and i remember once somebody was they were gonna either jump from a burning building or jump from the top of cheers off the roof i don't know and they had a fire truck and maybe norm was up at the top and he was gonna like try, try to come down but they really shot it in boston which was so weird i remember you know the sidewalks were closed and such um so that was fascinating it was really amazing and again even with you working the beginning and I mentioned this once before for some, and again, as a page, I had recently become a producer and the last episode of cheers, somehow I became a producer to produce the segments of Al Roker at cheers in Boston. And he was doing his live standups from, from the bar. And I was producing that. And again, it was like, you know, yeah. just to, to 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 see them shoot it to you know like the whole thing is like very surreal it's like this is insane full <laughs> so, circle for sure right yeah, it's so right. crazy so yeah. tell me about so now you had family uh family ties and taxi which were two yeah. legend also legendary shows what what were you experienced with that well family ties i had a unique connection to because gary david goldberg the creator and executive producer graduated from san diego state my college with my degree four years before i got there so, you know, during during my time there, he was mentioned often by professors as one of the success stories of our university. Most people don't know, but San Diego State had a terrific telecommunications right. and film department still does. One of the right. top we have an Academy Award winning uh, director was a, one of our uh, professors. Um, um, uh, the shows that I produced to graduate won student Emmy Awards in the San Diego market. So the right. access to, to talent, to the ability to produce and then to have. Uh, you know, shows that were actually broadcast on public television, the shows that I produced to graduate had to be broadcast on KPBS TV, uh, wow. San Diego. And if they weren't, I failed the class and had to take it over. Oh, that's awesome. When I graduated, I had not just demos of work that I produced, but actual broadcast quality and broadcast programs. So wow. that was, that helped me get the job as an NBC page. And, and this is the same program that Gary David Goldberg went through before me. So wow. on my first assignment, I immediately sought him out, introduced myself. He was really happy that I introduced myself. And we started talking about, you know, Mr. Metter and Professor Lee and, you know, that whole thing, you know, reminiscing about the school and how bad the radio labs were and the, <laughs> yeah. you know, none of the Aeroflexes ever worked, you know, that whole thing, you know, you're always complaining about all the stuff and that doesn't right. work right in school. 
And, uh, you know, he was just really nice to me. And he, he encouraged me to, you know, check, say hello whenever I was working there and stop by and get to know him. And, uh, you know, just was a really, again, you know, cheers and family ties were sets where, you know, from the top, you know, there was this, um, there was this uh, treatment of people. There was a demonstration of how people were to be treated properly on the set, you know, because, right. you know, the old expression, the fish is rotten from the head down, you know. Mm -hmm. And so now you go over to Taxi and you've got Ed Weinberger as the executive producer. This is a guy who's about five foot four and he's got a total Napoleon complex. Mm -hmm. And he's a terrific writer. I mean, he's an incredibly talented guy. He's produced some amazing uh, productions, including Taxi, but he treats people like they're trash, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I happened to be assigned, you know, I during the time that I was a supervisor, I tended to get these kind of sensitive assignments for some reason. And I got called in one day and said, you're going to do the final taping of Taxi. And by the way, it's not, there's no public, it's VIP. So it's going to be tricky. You know, there's going to be some big people there, agents, actors, who knows, you know, it's going to be a big right. deal. So, you know, we're going to have a different kind of a crew set up and so forth. So we prepared. And I get over there with my crew and normally they would finish um, like about six rehearsing, go to dinner till seven, come back and take, you know. So I get there and uh, there's, an, there's somebody standing outside the studio door, like an associate producer, and this, you can't go in the close set. And I go, no, I'm the guy that does the audience. <laughs> no, 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 nobody goes in. And I go in. No, you don't want to go in. Ed and, Ed and Judd are arguing right now. Don't go in, don't go in, don't go in. So it turns out Ed, Ed Weinberg and Judd Hirsch were arguing over the last few lines of the, of the show. And they were, they were like in each other's face. I, I don't mean like disagreeing. Right. I mean, like they were in each other's faces, calling each other's names, threatening to kill each other. Because wow. I actually got into the studio and saw it. It was pretty ugly, you know. Wow. And so they kept rehearsing. And so finally, the associate, another associate producer came over and said, we're going we're gonna to rehearse through dinner. Uh, and then we're just going to shoot. So just keep the audience, you know, in the studio next door. There was, I think it was 36 and 35 were next to each other. You walked in the same door. You turned right or left. So I just took everybody left, you know. And it's, you know, and Barry Diller came in and, and he, he was refused admission. And at the mm. time, he was the president of Paramount Television. You know? wow. And I said, I'd say, right now, you can't go in, Mr. Tiller. He goes, I'm the president. I said, well, go ahead. But I, I, I said, Ed won't let anybody in. You know, He came right back out. Ed, Ed shoot him out. Oh, really? And wow. so I'm holding all these people. You know, Now I've got like 250 people. Their names are all taped on their seats because we do tape and hold. You know, you put their name mm -hmm. on tape over the seat and it's held for them. You call their name, you pull the tape, you seat them. You know, it's a kind of a personalized service, part of what I did. <laughs> so, and so suddenly I'm, I'm holding, holding, holding. I've got all these people, they're all staring at me. A lot of people don't even want to sit down. You know, they want to go. Why aren't we in the studio? You know, we're going right by the time it's supposed to start. And then suddenly Weinberger appears it comes through, flying through the door, comes right up in my face and goes, why haven't you sat the audience? And he says it like he shouts it. And suddenly the whole studio got quiet. And I went, well, you told me not to. You know? right. And he said, no, no, no. He said, I need them. Shall we're going to go. I need them now. Seat them now. We're, 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 we're taping in five minutes. I said, well, I said, it's going to take me at least 20 minutes to seat all these 200 and some people here. Their seats are all taped. I can't just, there's no place. They can't go in and sit down. There's, I can't do that. He says, run them in. I go, no, the seats are all taped off. It's going to take me a few minutes. You have to give me a few minutes. And so he, he he screamed at me a little more and then he left. And then the associate producer comes up, does the same thing to me. Like it's his turn, you know. And then the script girl was right there and she came over afterwards and she tapped me on the arm and said, honey, don't let it bother you. That's just the price we pay to work with talented people like that. <laughs> are you out of your mind? You know, wow. that's not why I'm in this industry and I'm not going to work with people like that. To, you know, Put up with that to work with people that are creative you know and right. of course people were look as i was seeing people people were apologizing to me oh, i'm so sorry the way you were treated that was terrible you know 
And I, I said something to Eve about it, and it came back to, to the guy at Paramount, you know, the, the, you know, the art crew, and, and I was treated really badly by Weinberger, you know. Right. So it was really interesting how you have these, you know, these sets where the, the, the executive producers were just kind and gentle and compassionate and, inter and, and interested in you, and then you've got people like Ed Weinberger that just can't do anything except focus on getting the script right. Mm. you know <laughs> and, yeah no it's and definitely not easy. those two sets were just completely different i mean you know right. people walked around taxi nobody talked to anybody you know it was just quiet mm. everybody was hanging out on the set in chairs watching other people rehearse you know right, it was just right. the opposite you know? really wow. interesting you know? wow no it's it's interesting and you know and again um yeah it's a it's a weird experience to be in that situation because uh the the amount of pressure for certain folks you know during that time depending on who's who's you know who's in charge uh or or, or the director or the executive producer you know that that pressure can be so much and and sometimes you know you, you just lose it i guess but you had meant um was there an instance was that the show where danny devito had some guests no that was actually that was cheers. Some... that was a oh, cheers cheers, cheers. Yeah. oh okay Oh, Danny's wife, Rhea Perlman, was the barmaid, and uh, they were supposed to come to me by a certain time and give me names if they had guests for the show, and I didn't get any names from Rhea or from Danny. Danny would often give me names for Rhea, you know, because he, they were they were taping on the same night. They all taped on Friday, so he was down the, you know, on several nights. He was, you know, one year he was down the the, 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 uh, the driveway, you know, down in thirty six. So he would come up and, and have guests and they would go back and forth. But I sat the audience and then he came to me and said, I've got four guests. And I said, gee, I've just sat the audience. I didn't get any names from you. And he right. said, well, you're going to have to remove four people then. Wow. And I, said, <laughs> I mean, you know, my first thought is that's the most ludicrous thing anybody's ever said to me, that I'm going to go in and go, I'm sorry, you can't stay. You have to leave. You know, right. I mean, there's just no way I was going to do that. You know, right. even even if even if they'd have told me to do it, I wouldn't have done it. You know, I would have made them do it. I just wouldn't do that. You know, so right. like, those people were in the standby line. You know, they got in. It's like right. they, you know, they they got they got they got pardoned. Right. Know? They got they got battle wounds to get that seat. You know, they're like, I'm not. You know. Room, you know? So yeah. I said, well, listen, what I'll do for you, Danny, is I'll go in and I'll talk to Jim Burroughs and I'll see if I can put four chairs on the floor. Sometimes he'll let me put chairs on the floor right in front of the audience area, but. Sometimes you won't because the cameras come all the way back. So let me go see if I can do that. And and sure enough, that was a night where the blocking was all the way back to where the stands were and the cameras, there wasn't room, you know. So I had to come back and tell him. And he said, oh, he said, you're, you're just an N-B-C-F-U-C-K-E-R. That's what he said. Wow. And he was like kicking dirt on my shoes, although we were standing on asphalt, you know, because he's about <laughs> half my size, you know. And uh, wow. I'm sitting there going, not again, you know, this is ridiculous, you know. And suddenly uh, Glenn Charles comes out of the office to go into the studio. Their, their, their offices were right across this, this, this driveway kind of thing. And he goes, what's going on? And I, I explained to him. And he, he said, well, Danny, did you get the, did you give us the names? And he said, well, I think Rhea was supposed to. I don't know if she did or didn't. Now he's, now he's making excuses. And so, you know, Glenn said, I'm sorry, but, you know, it's not, it's not Baron's fault. <laughs> you know, he said the audience like he's supposed to do, you know, they're, they're probably taping now. It's probably too late. You know, I think they'd already started filming by the time this, this ended, you know, but he was just nasty to me. And then he stormed off and he wouldn't talk to me again. And I, again, I had to put that in my report. And I think Eva again called over to, to Paramount and said, you know, DeVito was rude to one of our staff members. And I think somebody, I think they said something to Rhea about it because uh, oh, wow. it kind of came back to me that Rhea was upset. I, I reported it. You know? But after that, DeVito never talked to me again, which was fine with me. You know? Right. Was, and and again, we'll tell the listeners, you know, you know, each what, what you know, and it's funny because, again, I give credit to, to 
the the pages and and I know when I go to an event and it's like bedlam and it's crazy and I'm like you know the pages are like it's like military it's like very precise and what people don't understand is like there's an there's a certain amount of seats and fortunately or unfortunately um celebrities or you know friends of the band for SNL or friends of the host or friends of the guests you know whatever it is but there are tickets that have to be given out to these you know quote unquote special people and uh as you mentioned you know they're tape and hold where the tickets would physically um be put into an envelope on our side we would you know put them into an envelope put their name on it they they picked them up at a certain at the at one of the page desks in main hall but those seats that had a name associated with them were taped with a you know masking tape and their name was written on it and everything was very precisely done and all of that has to take place you know early or a week before whatever it was because everyone can't just show up like there had if 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 the you know if two seats have to be right you know um you know if you want to give two good seats in the front to you know two very high vips you know they've got to be written and marked and we have to know how many tickets so when someone just shows up like you know danny wanted you know these tickets i mean the 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 bus you know the 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 train you know left the station i mean all of that should have been prepared early on because we have a million other vips that they're sitting or or as you mentioned the uh standbys who you know maybe maybe do they did they sleep out overnight to get standby tickets oh they would the they would for at the ticket office in burbank they would for several like whenever barry manilow was on the tonight show that was the the craziest situation we ever had with a guest on mm. the tonight show barry manilow and they came the night before to the ticket window and then they they would immediately get their tickets and go out front and they would bring sofas and chairs and leave it you know uh, they came with coolers uh, you know wow. uh, they came with umbrellas you know it was nothing like a regular show they were out there all day I mean, we, we it was all hands on deck when barry manilow was on the tonight that's show. so funny it's so so random <laughs> barry manilow yeah. i love it like, but you know they yeah were, they were all women it was all women. right oh that's funny wow <laughs> But anyway, so that, yeah, it is quite extraordinary that, that, um, that that would happen. And, you know, it's unfortunate because we, we had an, a, um, we had an instance on the East coast, which, uh, which for the folks that, that were involved and I want to have this person on the show, but yeah, it was a big, big, big deal with something very similar to what you just mentioned. So hopefully we'll have this person on the show and she'll talk about it, but it was insane. I mean, things got, got real crazy real quick uh based on a similar story so that was the same um but that's fascinating so so tell me about uh the rose bowl i guess you were <laughs> you work in the rose bowl was that the one with faye dunaway's hairdresser no the, <laughs> the rose was, bowl was, was just that? a. oh no that's a, right your local yeah tell me about that yeah the, the rose bowl was a was a just a, a page assignment you know we would uh, whenever there was going to be something to do with affiliate conventions or Super Bowls or Rose Bowls or World Series, pages were always involved in hospitality of some kind, working the door, helping out, whatever, you know. So I got assigned with a couple other pages to, to work the gate at the entrance to the, the compound we had for our NBC Sports. And in, in this compound was a gigantic hospitality tent. And all the advertisers for New Year's Day football, in those days we had three football games on NBC on New Year's Day, um, they all were invited to this hospitality tent for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They served three meals, you know, wow. so they came to the Rose Bowl and ate all day. You know, it was really a luxurious thing. And, wow. and, and suddenly I see Kelly Lang, our famous, uh, you know, four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock, 11 o'clock news anchor. She was the weather person for a long time and moved up to an anchor position and became a legend in Southern California. 
And um, she marches right up with about four or five people and, um, you know, acts, expects to be admitted, you know. And as she kind of walks by me, I said, I'm sorry, I have to check your name on the list. And she said, I'm on the list and something like that. And then the, the Pasadena police were there and they said, well, just, just a minute, please. You know, we need to check your name. You know, they, they stopped her and then her name wasn't on the list, you know. Mm. And the, 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 the lady that was running the event had told us, look, there's going to be a lot of people who come and say they're on the list. Okay. If they're not on the list, they're not on the list. There are no mistakes. There are no omissions. Don't right. come and ask me if somebody's supposed to be on the list. The list is perfect. Okay. Right. So now I've got Kelly Lang. She's not on the list. And she's saying, you have to go talk to somebody, you know, and I'm saying, I've been told not to do <laughs> that. Right. You know, you know, I'm completely in between a rock and a hard spot. You know, and right. Ralph Antunes is with me. We're both talking to her. It's not just me. And finally she insists. So, you know, she's making a scene now and she's raising her voice. And mm. I, I, I'm just saying, well, I'm just going to go back. I won't even talk to the person. I'll just act like I do. I'll go into the tent and I'll just walk back out. You know? <laughs> so, so I walk back with a list in my hand and then, the lady sees me. She goes, what's going on? And I said, well, you don't want to know. And she's, well, what? And I said, well, it's Kelly Wang. And she says, no, she's not on the list. You know, So I go back and I tell Kelly, I'm sorry, but you're, you're not on the list. And I, I can't admit you. you know? And she just goes off and, oh, you're going to get fired. You can't do this to me. I'm Kelly Lang. Don't you know who I am? And, and you know, right. I, I had heard, I hadn't really talked to her much. I'd seen her on a lot, but I hadn't really had much interaction with her. But I'd heard she was a little like that. But she oh. lived up to her reputation that day. You know, it was kind of ugly. I felt bad for her, you know, because there were a lot of people watching this go on, you know, the Rose Bowl. Right. <laughs> You know, right where we were, there were just thousands of people walking by the whole time. And she was really putting on kind of an ugly face in front of a lot of people. I, I kind of felt bad for it. You know? Wow. Yeah, it is. I mean, it really is terrible that um, that, uh, you know, I mean, again, it's the same thing. I mean, you know, there's a, you know, a million people that want to get into the tent, you know, and have three meals a day and everybody wants to show up and think they can just sort of walk in. Um, and it is, you know, unfortunately, you know, you're the you're the guy that uh, is there to stop people from coming in. And if you're not on the list, you're not on the list. And it's, it, it definitely puts you in a, in an awkward situation and, and it's kind of cool that you stuck two guns, but. Well, you know, uh, I have to say know. that it happened very rarely. You know, we've, we've kind of focused on these, a couple stories that I've had, but you know, the majority of my interaction with, uh, with talent was just overwhelmingly positive, you know? Yeah. And they would never think to do something like that, you know? So these yeah. are really rare examples. And I, I expected a lot more of it, to be honest with you. When I first arrived and didn't know what to expect, I thought there would be some of that or maybe more of it than, than I would know. But it was the opposite. There was much less of it than I expected. Yeah. The older the performer was, you know, the nicer they were. Yeah. Because, you know, George Burns started in vaudeville, you know, for five cents a day. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, he just didn't show up one day on the Internet and become famous, you know, so so right. these people knew the value of hard work and determination and and they treated people with respect because, you know, that's how they were treated, you know, and, they, and so they they were they just knew that it was, uh, you know, you treated people with respect in the industry because it, it was a team effort, you know, and yeah. so I never had trouble with older talent. It was always the younger people, you know. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, and and to literally think back, um, I can't even think of any real talent that that I ever you know ran into that was not like the nicest kindest people they were all they really were everybody was 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 super nice um and it's true going you know the, the, some of these old timers and again even some of the old timers you know you have to ha I mean and again that's just the the way I am but you know you have to have respect for these folks it's like these folks they're legendary. I mean, they're, they're iconic living legends. And, you know, when you meet them, 
you, you know, if, you know, and unfortunately, you know, maybe some of the, you know, nowadays people are like, who the hell are you? I think, matter of fact, I read an article where, um, uh, was it, um, Martin Landau, I think was on the, was on the, uh, red carpet going to mission impossible. And literally one of the younger interviewers were like, who the hell are you? Why, who are you? Why are you here? You know, and he was like, well, you know, like, what do you even say to that? It's like, and it's unfortunate because they don't even know who these people are. And it's, yeah. you know, it's embarrassing. It um, but anyway, but yeah, that's it, it's truly amazing. I mean, the, the 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 talent is so they're so great. And it, and again, when you could when you can bump into one of your, you know, someone that maybe you grew up that you really admired to just talk to them and and hear any advice they can give you. It's literally gold. I mean, it's just incredible so um, i don't think i shared this story in my notes but i've been there about a week or two after training and i was assigned a weekend you know you knew you work weekends and i was doing a bob hope special you know and i was out front the studio one working a line just a page you know and the, the oic came to me and said come with me this is the oic is the outside person in charge you know and it walked me backstage to the stage door and studio one and three were the older studios there was a narrow hallway but there was always a, a phone by the stage door and, and a page would stand there and they called that the key page and yeah. the key page would answer the phone this is before cell phones email text and you know, so forth and then it run down people to get the phone for them or give them a message or wh whatever run errands for the producer or whatever so they said well the, this guy's going to go to lunch just stand here there won't be anything if the phone rings take a message you know nothing's going to happen everybody. and I, I stood there for 30 minutes there was nobody there right nobody there. Mm. And at one point, I kind of turned my back to the hallway and I was looking at the, 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 the there was a poster board there and I just was so bored. I was reading the same announcement for about the third time. And I heard a lady tap me on the shoulder and said, were there any calls? And I turned around and there's Bob Hope. And I didn't know that that was his wife, but I kind of assumed it was, but I wasn't mm -hmm. sure. And she just stuck her hand and she goes, oh, I'm Dolores Hope. This is my husband, Bob. You know, wow. and, I, and I shook both their hands, you know, and I was like, I mean, I didn't even know they were coming, you know, here I, right. I just shook Bob Hope's hand, you know, I've been right. here a week, I shook Bob Hope's hand, you know, and he was nice, no calls, okay, thank you, you know, and just walked on, I'm just, I was like looking at my hand. <laughs> right, yeah, it is, and, and, I, and again, it's one of those things we talked about at the top of the show, it's unbelievable, because it's true, they could be the most famous person, and they come up, and they'll say, you know, hi, you know, hi, I'm Charlton Heston, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I kind of well, know that, you know, it's the funniest thing. I mean, again, I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's uh, celebrity etiquette 101. But, you know, when these big famous people, you know, hi, I'm so and so. And it's like, yeah, I kind of I kind of knew that one, you know. Um, no, it's so it, again, it's just so amazing. Um, it just it, it it just the whole experience is 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 insane. By the way, let me just add one thing. There were a lot of talent that recognized who we were you yeah know, we were somebody and when i say special i mean given an opportunity you know to excel in an industry you know based on our college performance and our our desire to, to want to work in the industry you know we were respected because we were selected from a large group of people to be a very small contingent that got this opportunity and so right. a lot of talent recognized that that we'd accomplished that and respected right. us for it you know yeah we may not have been important but we were respected because we were the future of that network they looked at us that way you know right no and i totally agree um can't think of any like i said you know it, it was really funny because i you know i was so thrilled to be a page and i would have done anything so i didn't really care <laughs> what was asked of me I, I, it, it didn't make a difference right and 
and the fact is that I can't think of one instance where anyone from the from the president, you know, Bob Wright, all the way down to the cleaning crew, and and literally that's the scope. Everybody was so nice, and I was happy to do anything for anybody. And it was it was nice because it's true they did nobody I never felt looked down on as a page, um, which is which is great because you, you know right. it, it technically could happen, but um, but yeah, and I enjoyed giving the tour. You know, I thought yeah. the tour yeah. was fun to do. It could be a little tiresome if you did three in a day, and the last yeah. one was at four o'clock, and there wasn't a studio open, so you you had an hour of walking through hallways where they saw nothing. You know, that was those were tough tours to do, but I still enjoyed giving them because right. I was walking people through history, and I was right. taking them to places that they had seen the Andy Williams show, and they had seen Laughing, you know, and they wow. had watched real people, and they were now seeing the studio where it was actually done, and it was the thrill of their life. You know, they were. Right. Really excited to be there and and listening to every word and if you didn't take it seriously you really right. you really shortchanged them of an experience that they waited maybe their lifetime to have you know right i don't mean to over dramatize it but no. you know you know at the end of the tour people were hugging you you know <laughs> well you know and i'm going to touch on that too you know it, it's funny because i agree with you a hundred percent and literally uh you know there was i could think of one person in particular in my page uh, time who, you know, who didn't take it seriously. I mean, there were a few, but it really bothered me because what you just mentioned, you know, people are, are waiting to see this. They're walking through history and, you know, some of the pages are, are, you know, they're, they're mocking it, joking it and not giving the full experience to the audience. And I will say this, you know, we were redoing, we, we, we had mini control on the East Coast where it was like a miniature television studio. Did you have that on the West Coast? We built one of those too, right at the end, yeah. Okay, so we had one and when I was leaving or towards my my time when I was finishing up, they were going to redo it. And I, and I wanted to redo the mini control in a way where the pages who didn't want to give the full experience had no choice. Because we had a little Johnny Carson set, we had a weather set up, uh, we had like carts to play music and things. And some of the pages would literally just come in, you'd walk into mini control and they'd be like, okay, well, listen, thanks for coming to the tour. We really appreciate, goodbye. And they'd walk out and I'm like, you didn't, you literally did nothing and there was nothing forcing those people to do it. And I will say this, and maybe the person who's, who, if uh, the person may be listening to this podcast, maybe we could have this person on and we could talk about that experience because I got into a, I literally for 30 years, I don't think I've really spoken to this person because of, I wanted to do it. I wanted to set mini control up correctly. And I was given a lot of pushback and it went south and and uh, and I haven't really spoken to this person the way that I used to in 30 years. So I took it very seriously and it kind of annoyed me that, you know, again, people from all over the world are showing up to this. This might be the one chance ever that they're ever going to come. And if you're not showing them or sharing things, it's 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 really sad, you know, so so I, I give you kudos for the one thing that was cool about the tour, at least in Burbank, there was a, a well-established tradition of following other pages uh, when you first started on their tour and using their good material. Yeah. So yeah. it was not considered like taboo to copy somebody who had a good line on the Tonight Show set. It was yeah. actually considered a compliment that you right. took their line and you used it, you know. Right. So, 
you know, on our staff, about half of the 40 or 45 we may have had at any one time wanted to be entertainers and the other half were on the production side, you know. Right. So the ones who wanted to be entertainers tended to give the best tours because they put more effort into telling jokes or creating their own material based on something funny in the, in the, in the script, you know. And right. so those were the people I would follow around. And because I was not necessarily an entertainer, but I wanted to give an entertaining tour. Right. And I followed enough tours to know the difference between someone who made people laugh on the Tonight Show set and someone who just simply said on the right, we have 36 battens and on the left, we have doors that are 22 feet tall. You know? Right. Because right. if you made it too technical, nobody really cared. People didn't right. want to care. You know, there was technical information to be shared, but they wanted to know the stories. They wanted to know the mishaps, the funny things, you know, the cute right. things, you know. And, and there were ways in which you could tell that with humor and make it even more entertaining. And I wasn't necessarily good at humor, but I copied the ones that were, and it made my tour better. And I took a lot of pride in that I worked hard to make my tour enjoyable, you know. Right. And not and just the basic information I was supposed to give in an hour, you know. Right. And I'll mention that for the listeners, you know, we were given a book, you know, like sort of a little Bible and with all the information that we sort of had to or you didn't have to use all of it, but it was very, you know, it was a ton of information, all the history of NBC, the shows and all that other stuff. So then and then you would, as you mentioned, you would follow other other pages. So we had, you know, bits of information that we had to do. But then, you know, as you said, you know, you could make it your own and give them insider you know information and and make it fun and make the tour feel as if they really had a, a real experience you know they they really experienced something you know they could have just recorded that information on a tape and just said you know we'll just we'll put it on the wall and you read it but the fun part is when the page or even at disney you know when the tour guides you know give you you know on the jungle cruise and stuff but that's what makes it fun exactly you know, so yeah, and I loved it too. I mean, I I really did. I enjoyed doing all that stuff. I mean, it was it, it really was um, amazing. So and 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 you know, just tell us a little bit about the tour part of it. Um, you know how it was set up on the West Coast as compared to the East Coast. A little inside of just you know what studios were available. What do you show them? Well, originally, when you would exit the tour lobby, you would come into the lobby where your tour group was waiting. They would be paged, two o'clock tour, now come to the lobby. You would step into the lobby, two o'clock tour, follow me, and you take them through a door. And now you're out of the out of the bungalow and you're into a little area that had a weather map and it was sort of an outdoor covered area. And you do some announcements. We're gonna go into the studio building, here are the rules, you know, no autograph seeking, no photography, blah, 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 you know. And then you would just go into the studio door and you would you would begin to walk down past four and two, and you would head all the way to, you would go to one and three. That was where you were trying to get to first. That's where the Tonight Show is. So you're talking, you know, you're walking backwards as you go down the hallway. We're going to come back here in a minute. Here's Studio 4, here's Studio 2, and over here is Studio 5 where we do KNBC News. And we're going to turn the corner. Here are our two big rehearsal halls. And now we're going to go down the hallway. Here's Studio 3 on the right. And Studio 1, the home of the Tonight Show. You've also seen it for Bob Hope. And, and then you'd go onto the set and take them onto the set of the Tonight Show if the, store, if the doors were open. And you'd probably spend about 10 minutes there. And you, the first question you would ask them, you would say, well, what's your first impression? And they'd all go, <laughs> it looks so small. <laughs> you, just, you, you never had to worry about what they were going to say, right? It was right. always the same thing coming back. And, and then you would play off that. Yes, of course, that's because the camera has one eye. And then you would do into some technical work, you know, and then maybe throw in some material, you know. I got to know some of the people on The Tonight Show. So I would talk about Gary, who did the audio. He was world famous for how he did the audio for The Tonight Show, for all the famous people that came and performed. Oh, what, what, I would talk a little bit about him. And what, then, what, you know, what, what tip? Funny one. 
Well, what tip would you share? Did, did, did he share some good audio? What what tips? Did well, he what, share? what he, he he learned how to mic the studio in a way in which he could get stereo sound because you know the Tonight Show was not stereo original. So the, the studio, they didn't really know how to do it. <laughs> they had to they had to figure out where to put the mics to get the right sound to, to mix between the band and the singer and so forth. So it took a lot of work and, and took mm. a lot of audio filtering and a lot of the technical work in the booth. And he, mm. he spent years perfecting it. So the, the Tonight Show audio, that's why the performers wanted to come onto the Tonight Show because the live audio, no one no one produced live audio on air like the Tonight Show did. Interesting. And, and and performers knew that. So they knew uh, they could go on and produce something that would be reproducible. That was, you know, right. Really wow. high quality. You know? Oh, that's and, interesting. And sell their records too because of the quality. Right. So that was something we would talk about. And then you would work your way back the hallway and go back down past four until you tried to go into any studio that was open and to spend as much time in there as you could. You're, you're, you've got your fingers crossed the whole way that Ed McMahon's going to walk by you, you know, because Ed would always come over and talk to your tour. And the first time he did it, he looked at my name tag and there it was Baron W. And as did many different people, including George Burns, he said, oh, how's your tour going with the, oh, Baron. Oh, I love that name, Baron. <laughs> That's a great name. Oh, you got a good tour guide, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, and he, he, you know, he, he was just, he just loved to talk to people. You know, he was just hamming it up all the time. And then he, he every time he walked by me after that for eight years, he always said hello to me. Hey, Baron, how you doing? Yeah. He never forgot my name, you know. He, no, he was great. Matter if I was in the commissary, you know, wherever I was, he saw me and say, "There's Baron." <laughs> right. I I ran into him when I worked for Cablevision. He was a guest on one of our shows, and um, and I, you know, I mean, it's so funny because I said to him, "I go, could you do the Tonight Show read, but with our show?" Uh, and he did it. You know, like like he didn't even, you know, so and it was just like, "Hey, could you?" So I used that in in a promo. Um, I had him. Do you know, ladies and gentlemen, here's Studio Y is, was the show, <laughs> but he did it. And he, I think he was there with his daughter or something. I don't know, oh, but, but it was. Yeah. But again, totally nice guy. Yeah. Do whatever you, you know, you got to love that. He had the world's greatest job. He showed up about four o'clock, hung around, didn't do anything till taping time, got dressed, went out. For about 10 minutes, he told the same joke every night to warm up the audience, the exact same joke, vowel for vowel, accent for accent, no change at all. And then he would introduce Johnny, sit at the end of the sofa, and wave goodbye and go home. It was right. the easiest, best job in Hollywood, I'll tell you. And he did it better than anybody, I'll tell you. He, he owned that job, you know. Right. And again, the fact that he was so nice, you know, like he could have, you know, he he knew what he had and he just was really good about it and god bless him you know yeah. um that, he that's was awesome. an important part of the show there's no doubt about it you know right no that's amazing um so in the how many studios were were open like you mentioned studio one which was carson's is yeah. that correct uh how many other large studios were on on the burbank we had four in the main studio building one and three were built originally on uh, alameda uh, and then eventually around the corner, they built two and four, which were bigger. And four was the, considered at the time the largest television production facility in the world. Oh, and wow. uh, uh, there were, you know, you could do a lot of stuff in there. It was big. That's where Andy Williams was done. That's where Laffin was done. That's where uh, we did real people there. I mean, it, it could handle really big, big productions. You know? so, so you, those studios were open. Um, was, usually one would be open and until about two o'clock or three o'clock when rehearsal started. So you had most of the day to get into one. And when Carson was on hiatus, then the whole thing was wide open. The sets were struck usually too, you know, 
So it was, mm. it was different. And three, that was the older facility. So we usually wouldn't walk into three unless we knew two and four was closed and we wanted to kill some time because you do want to show them the bigger studio. Carson was so built out with a permanent audience area, you didn't get a feel for how big the actual studio building was because half of it was an audience area that had been constructed uh, like oh, a theater. Right. Whereas right. the others were all temporary folding stands, you know. Right. So you would go into three, so you, they could see where the battens were, how we would raise and lower sets and lights, and how the rigging worked, and you know, they give them the behind-the-scenes technical tour, you know. And uh, usually there was a there were two studios with number five. One was used by KNBC News. The other one was where uh, they did small shows, like uh, Regis Philbin had a morning talk show was done in there. So. You might go in there if that was all that was open, but usually in the afternoon there wasn't much that was open, so you you you, you always wanted to try and get a morning tour so you could at least show them something. Yeah. So there was a, so so you really were just walking them through like four studios ish. Yeah, and then basically after then you other... would after you did the studios, you would then go down into operations technical services. You'd go down to wardrobe. You'd stop at wardrobe. There was a okay. window. They'd have a they'd have a, a, a mannequins there, and you would talk about the sets. They would whatever was the the clothes that were there. You would do a little speech about it. They would they would put up whenever they changed it. They would tell us what it was. Then you'd go into scene. Scene was right around the corner. We had a humongous scene shop. Oh my god, the scene shop was gigantic. I think we had oh, one of the biggest scene shops of any studio. You know, twenty tables. You know. 20 by 20 <laughs> to right. build stuff on him. I mean, it was crazy. And there would be sets in there and they would see stuff, you know, so you'd walk them through there, you know. There was another big studio nine that was over on the corner where they did Days of Our Lives, but that was strictly Days of Our Lives. It was never used for anything else. And then eventually they built Studio 10, which was the equal of Studio 2 and 4, a very large facility uh, that wow. was built out there just after I left. And that's that's there now. And then of course that lot has now been turned into Warner Brothers. They built two gigantic office buildings out on the corner where um, studio nine and ten were are, and then they they're they're, re they're redoing the rest of it. They're converting it completely over into a, a, a production facility. So it's oh, going to wow. be Warner Brothers. It's all Warner Brothers, and it was Warner Brothers, and NBC bought it from Warner Brothers, and now Warner Brothers bought it back. It's kind oh, of funny wow. how that's worked around. The two buildings are designed by Frank Gehry. They put a lot of money into the lot. They're they're moving across the freeway. They they don't have enough production space over wow. on the other side. Wow, it's amazing. So yeah. you had mentioned um, George Burns. Well, I guess you mentioned George Burns and Real People. Yeah. Uh, what was that? Because and I remember Real People was it was a sh was it was it a friend talking Tarkington and and no that was that, no, this was that, that was, was the other one that was, that's incredible. Uh, yeah. No, this was um, uh, Sarah Purcell. Sarah Purcell, right. I can't remember what Skip's last name was. Uh, right, Skip Stevenson. Barber. Wasn't it Skip Stevenson? Stevenson, that's right. Yeah. John Barber. John Barber, Fred right. Ward, you know. Yes, yes, yes. They yes. would find cutesy little stories, and they would do a story on somebody, and then when they would come back to the studio, the subject would be on the set. They'd do a piece with them, two or three minutes, maybe four or five. Might ask some questions from the audience, and then on to the next piece, you know. So I was assigned to be the key page on the final season of... Uh, of a real people. It was produced by George Slaughter, who did who did uh, Laugh In, and he was a, a, a very famous producer. And uh, he could be kind of tough to work with, but he was brilliant, you know. And he was fair, but he was you know you had you didn't make a mistake, you know. You had to be on your toes with, you know. Oh. But he was a nice guy if uh, if you were really working hard and, and and you know showing him that you cared about doing a good job. And of course, it's a really busy show because they're going to do six or eight segments in an hour. Um, the guests are going to be coming and going into the dressing room because they come, they get set up, they do their makeup, they go out, then they leave. So if you're the key page, you're just turning dressing rooms over all day. I mean, it's nothing like any other show on the lot, you know, mm. and it's just go, go, go. Plus, it's taped live like a television show, like The Tonight Show. It's live on tape. Right. So they're, they're only stopping for commercial breaks or if there's some gigantic 
you know, mess up that they actually have to stop tape. But I don't think it happened the season I was there, you know. Right. But what, what they did was they found somebody who lived in Columbus, Ohio. His name was George Burns, and he lived at 235 Maple Drive in Columbus, Ohio. Well, it turns out the real George Burns was at 235 Maple Drive in Beverly Hills. Mm. So they did a story about that. You know? <laughs> Classic, <funny>. right? <laughs> how, how do you make a story out of that? Well, they did, you know. So they they flew the family out, and I was told that uh, I would give them a tour through the studio on the day before the show. I would then escort them in a limo to George's house. There would be a real people crew there that would film some interaction between the two Burnses, and then I would take them back to the studio. And then I would see them the next day when they came to be on the show. They would know me as the person that would give them their dressing room. And so, that, you know, they lined it all up for me to do all of this, you know. And uh, I gave them the tour. We, we got in the limo. We went over to Mr. Burns' house. I, I was told to have them wait in the car and go up and ring the doorbell. So I went. Did they, I did the they know? Did they know they'd be seeing? Oh yes, that was all they set. Did. Up. Okay, yeah, so they, they knew they, that they. they, 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 they yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, and so I rang the doorbell and George answered the door, which wow. completely surprised me. I figured it'd be a producer or something, you know. And right. he went. I said, "Hi, I'm I'm Baron from NBC." And he looked at my name tag and he said, "You are Baron." He said, <laughs> he "My name." He said, "That is you." That's funny. He's like, he's like, I love that name. He said, "That's again." You know, I, I kept getting that from people. I love your name. You know, so uh, so we're, we're kind of talking for a minute, and the producer comes up and goes, "Okay, hold on, George, just a minute." You know, like they put him aside. You know, like George is George is a loose cannon. Watch out for George. You know, where's the where's Mr. Burns? I said he's in the car. You know, so the producer went out. They had me come in. They said, "Just go in the kitchen and wait a little while." You know, we'll we'll, we'll do it. And so the, I was in there. There was somebody in there with with me, and I was talking to them. And then they finally he finally came in after about a half an hour, and they had finished. And he and he, I guess he came in to get some water. And they said, "Oh, there's Baron." He said, "I love that name. Where'd you get that name?" And I said, and then somebody came and said, "Okay, ready to go." You know. Like they called me to take the couple of the cars. So I said, well, I'm going to see you tomorrow, Mr. Burns, on the show. So I'll tell you the story where I got my name. He said, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. Kind of, you know. So I didn't think much of it. And the next day, of course, he comes down the hallway. There's Baron. He says, you know, how you doing, Baron? I said, oh, great. Let me take you down to your dressing room. I took him down to his dressing room. He says, come back later. I want to talk to him. When you got some time, come back later. I want to talk to him. I said, okay. I wasn't sure what that was about. you know. So uh, I think he went and did his piece. And then when he came back, I, I went down. I knocked on the door. And he, he had me in. And he goes, are you related to... William Wellman, the director. <laughs> and I said, no, I'm not. Unfortunately, I wish I was. He said, he said, he was a good director. I just want to say, well, this is, what do you want to do in this industry? He says, uh, can I give you any advice? What can I do to help you? You know, I know you're trying to, you're a page or something, aren't you? You know, like, kind of right. I said, yeah, you know, I kind of told him what I wanted to do. I was looking to get into producing and he just, he, he just said, he gave, he gave me some advice. He says, well, you know, he says, he says, be determined. He says, don't take no for an answer. You know, he says, just talk to everybody, you know, mm -hmm. sooner or later, people see how sharp you are, you know, mm -hmm. he was just trying to be nice, you know, he was right, just trying right. to be helpful. He's just a really, really cool, nice guy, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and funny, you know, he was, he was cracking jokes all the time. He had somebody with him and he was teasing the guy that was with him, helping him out like his caregiver, you know, and every time the guy would do something, he'd tease him and the guy would blush, you know, and they were having fun together. You could tell they, they enjoyed working together. And then the, the funny part of that story was, you know, about three or four months later, um, there was a taping of um, a show for CBS, uh, Frank Sinatra, like uh, some sort of a, a tribute to Frank Sinatra. I, I forget the details, but it was a who's who of Hollywood. And it was the only time in the eight years I was on the lot where I was restricted from going into a studio. Because mm. when you work in the studio building, you know, nobody stops you. It, right. It'll say close set. It doesn't mean anything, you know, for right. someone who works in the studio building. So, so we were kind of, some of us were kind of upset because we were hoping to, you know, be inside and kind of, you know, see Frank or whatever. You know? right. So we decided to just camp out in the hallway and kind of stand over by studio two as, as they, they were coming down the hallway being checked in. They were going into the studio door uh, uh, through the middle of the studio. 
And here they come one after another. I mean, it's a who's who. It's here comes Jimmy Stewart. Here's Gregory Peck. Here's Sammy Davis Jr. You know, I mean, it's, you know, you never see all those people at one time. They might be on the lot here right. and there to do the Tonight Show, but all at the same time, no, right. I, I've never seen anything like that. It just went on for like a half an hour while they came and went. And then finally, here comes George. And he saw me and he said, hey, Baron, how's it going, kid? And I yeah. said, it's going great, George. He says, don't work too hard. I said, oh, I won't, George, don't worry. And everybody turned to him and went, you know George Burns? And I said, oh, yeah, like this, you know. <laughs> now, it's really uh, funny. Yeah. Did you, when you had those experiences, I mean, were your parents still alive at that time or? Uh, yes, you, my parents were alive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So did you, because I did this and I'm going to tear up. Yeah. Did you go home and tell you, like, tell your parent, you know, tell your parent, like, did you go home and tell them these stories? Like, oh, you're sure. not going to believe this. Oh, something like that. I would. Yeah, for sure. Cause I used to do that all the time. Like I would, I would come home. I'm like, you're not going to believe this. And, and, and it's true. All of these, all these folks were in the hallway or, or whatever in, in, in a very condensed, um, in a, in a place where you'd, like you mentioned, like they're, they're all there for a particular reason and never, like it's rare that they'll all they'll all be in that same place right. again, yeah. and to see them all and again as a twenty you know you, you were twenty years old twenty one twenty two I don't know twenty four yeah. twenty four okay you know to be to be like that and then it just it's again one of those things where and I'm still you know it it's it's so it it meant so much to me and I know, you know, it's just, it's, it's incredible that you, that you have that, that ability. I, I called my dad beginning of my junior, sophomore year and told him I was changing my major to television and film from pre-law. He wanted me to be an attorney. Oh. He was in the restaurant business. He told me when I was 13, I couldn't go in the restaurant business. It was doctor, attorney, or accountant. My choice, he was paying for it. <laughs> mm. So I called him and said, I'm going into television production. I'm going to change my major. I think he dropped the phone and then he picked it up and he said, I won't pay for it. And I said, yes, you will. And he said, well, you can't get a job. There's no money in that. And I said, sure, there is. There's a thing called satellite television. It's coming. Believe me. Mm. You know. Wow. So, of course, you know, six years later, he shook Bob Hope's hand. And he never, yeah. ever again questioned my decision to go into television production. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I've heard there, there have been a lot of those types of stories where, yeah. you know, the parent, you know, the parents either didn't want, want him to do it and this, that, and then they wind up having the experience and they're like, you know, it's an amazing thing. Um, yeah. It's just, it, it really is so cool. Um, uh, and it's like funny because you, you, for you to give that experience to your dad, it makes you feel good. You know, like oh, it makes you feel good. A smile like, on his face. He didn't wash his hand for a week. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like if I, if I was an attorney, you would never have shaken his <laughs> hand. Um, I did so, something similar like that for my mom. Um, she was a, a big Walter Matthau and Jack Lemon fan. Of course, who isn't right. So right. they were going to, they, they usually appeared on the show together and I found out they were going to be on the show. So she, she got all dressed up in her beautiful dress. She was a very attractive woman. She had a beautiful mink stole. She wore a mink stole. And I had him right down in the front row and I told him, I'm going to come and get you as the as the music starts for the end of the show. I'm going to grab you and you're going to follow me and we're going to stand in the hallway right next to the studio door so that when Jack and Walter walk by, they'll walk right by you and see. you. OK, and you might even get to say hello. So I did. I grabbed him. I, I, I got him into the hallway. I had him right next to the door. So when they came through the door, my mom was standing right there and Jack came through and there she was. And he stopped and he went hello there how are you because she was just looking like a million dollars you know wow. and he said she said he said i'm jack lemon and she said oh i'm helen wellman you know <laughs> and he said this is my friend walter you know and she's wow. going ah, i'm the walter <laughs> and she said you look fantastic he says well, did you see the show and she said yes 
I said, well, I hope you enjoyed it. And then they just went right around and she, I, she, her knees buckled. I mean, her knees buckled, you know. Right. I mean, I had no idea they would do anything like that. I wasn't, I just wanted them to walk by her, you know. And then uh, just, it's I mean, just her knees buckled. She never, she never stopped talking about it. Right. It was one of the greatest it, moments of her life. And she dated Howard Hughes in the 30s. <laughs> oh, wow. wow. So it wasn't like she hadn't been around Hollywood, but that night, right. I'll tell you. That was really a special night for him. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. And again, I mean, it just, and, and my mom, I mentioned this, uh, Robert Wagner was on, on SNL and I got her the front row seat right up against the stage. Um, you know, so she like, look up his, you know, <laughs> look up at him, but it's one of those things where it was just, you know, uh, how cool is it that you can, can do that as a lowly page, <laughs> you know? So tell me about, you got a phone call from uh, where you wound up really becoming a hero in something is that well i don't know about a hero but we, oh, we came it... to someone's we came to someone's aid you know yeah so yeah. tell tell us about that yeah i was working as a supervisor i had the late shift so the tonight show crew had gone home it was about 8 30 um i had studio two was taping um uh fantasy which was a kind of a reality show with peter marshall and leslie algram somebody who hadn't seen their mother in 10 years or something would come on the show or fantasy is to see her mother again they would grant her wish it was a lot of that you know mm. good, good storytelling and then on the other side in studio four was uh, a cbs special about star wars something to do about star wars and i had a page crew on each uh show with key pages at the hallway doors answering the phone uh, my phone rings it's linda kirby from studio four she says I think a stagehand has collapsed and he's not breathing. Oh. And he's behind the cyclorama. He's right inside the door. I said, is he not breathing? She goes, let me, just a minute. And she said, and I heard her shouts them and she, yeah, he's not breathing. I said, okay, I'm going to call the switchboard and get the paramedics. I'll be there in a minute. I hung the phone up. I called, I called, uh, I had to call the, um, uh, the operator because we couldn't dial 911 directly. I told him, send the paramedics to the California street entrance not catalina because if they come to catalina they're gonna have to walk across the lot whereas if they come to california they can come right in the door we're there you know the fire station is right across the entrance to nbc on catalina street so oh. they're there right so i make the call i run the 50 yards to the studio i'm there probably in under a minute from the call i get inside the stage hand is down the psych is pulled they're still taping on the other side of the psych and he i i, I kind of look at him i roll back his eyes are rolled back and he's not breathing he's definitely his heart has stopped. He doesn't oh, have any pulse. So I said, I, I told the Linda, I said, go get so-and-so and so-and-so in the lobby. We need more pages. And then I said, we're going to have to start CPR. I said, uh, blah, 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 blah. So-and-so, you're going to get one minute counts. Every minute you tell me it's a minute, we're going to go for five minutes. We'll see if we can go for five minutes. And I said, and I said, you know, blah, 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 blah. And about that time, he started to cough and choke. And, and I said, he's going to get sick. Roll him over. So we rolled him over. He, he vomited. Um, we rolled him back over. He wasn't breathing. So a stagehand took his T-shirt off and gave it to me so I could wipe his mouth because he had a goatee. Oh, and I said, okay, I'm going to start respirations. Tom, you're going to start uh, chest compressions. It's 15 and then five. Do 15, breath, five. And we're going to do uh, breath, five, breath, five, breath, five. And we start. And uh, probably about three minutes. And uh, he's been down about three minutes. And, and finally, the stage manager got really frustrated and said, quiet back there. We're taping, quiet. Oh, and no. so I, I just turned my head up and I said, I said, we have a dead man here. Stop tape. At that point, I heard the director over the loudspeaker in the studio yell, stop tape. And the uh, uh, stage manager, who I knew, Roger, came over and saw it was me, saw what was going on. I had him quickly pull the cyclorama back. And we just kept working on it. We kept working on it. We got to five minutes. I thought we were really in trouble. At that point, he suddenly coughed and he kind of jerked a little bit and he gasped for air. 
And uh, it looked like he was going to get sick. And I said, roll him over. And we rolled him over, but he didn't get sick. And we rolled him back and his eyes popped up. His eyes rolled back. It was like someone plugged the slot machine in and the power came on. And his eyes kind of rolled back in to where he was looking, but you could see he was very glazed over. He wasn't responding to any questions or anything we said to him. He was breathing and he was alive, but he was barely there. And at that moment, the paramedics burst through the door. (laughs) And I said, where have you guys been? They said, we we went to the wrong gate, you know? And so... They, they hooked him up to an EKG. They found that he had a very weak uh, pulse. They said, this is a scoop and run. They gave him adrenaline. They threw him on the stretcher and he was out the door. They were gone in like three or four minutes. I mean, it was that fast. Wow. And we were all standing around going, what just happened? You know? right. I mean, you know, we were thrown into this thing and, you know, we're, we're not sure what's really going on. And then suddenly they show up and it's really bad and he's gone. And we're all like, wow, you know, we're just like stunned. And uh, they had stopped taping at Fantasy. It was such a commotion that they'd stopped taping on the other side. Both directors were now standing around trying to figure out what to do, whether they were going to keep shooting for the rest of the night. And at some point, they decided to go on. Peter Marshall came over and had been, you know, Peter Marshall was a page. So anytime there were pages on the show, he was always talking to them, being very friendly with them. Uh, He heard what happened, came over and was talking to uh, Linda, who he had known because uh, he was working there all the time. And, and so he was patting us all on the back and we were like feeling awkward because, you know, we didn't know if the guy lived, you know, and mm-hmm. everybody was, you know, patting us on the back like we, you know, we'd saved his life. But we, we didn't know if he was going to live or not, you know, mm-hmm. and they ended up finishing taping. We, we got out really late that night. I happened to have first call next morning. I had to be there to open the tour at like 830. And uh, I, the phone rang about 1030. And it was or my intercom went off and Eva's secretary, Karen, said, Barry, that's Grant Tinker on line one. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, in the page lounge and in the page dumb, right. you know, practical jokes are a big deal, you know, and all in good fun, you know. And I played a few myself. So, you know, I'm as guilty of it as anybody. And my first reaction was, yeah, right, Karen. <laughs> I'm not falling for that one. Right. You know, the minute I picked the phone up, that's what I told her. I said, I know five pages are going to crash through the door and laugh at me. You know, so she says, well, she said, the only people are going to be laughing at you is going to be Grant Tinker if you don't pick the phone up because and, and on the line. Let, let our listener, you know, the list for the listeners, Grant Tinker was the president of NBC at the time. Actually, right? he was or the chairman he, of the board. Chairman of the board. And OK, That's so right. he was he was the big I mean, he was like a huge <laughs> deal. So he was the big fish. Yeah. And he had a reputation for just a super nice guy. You know, mm. So I picked the phone. So I sat up straight, of course, in my desk, <laughs> answered the call. Secretary says, is this Baron? I said, yes. She says, Would you hold for Grant? Just a minute, please. And uh, he comes on the phone. He said, Baron? I said, yes. He said, this is Grant. Listen, I heard what happened yesterday in Studio 4. Wow. What a situation. Listen, I understand that you and your pages really, you know, went to the utmost effort to try to help save this man's life. And I, I have to tell you, I'm so proud to be your coworker. Okay, so, you know, the chairman of the board just told me he's proud to be my coworker. <laughs> what do you say to that? <laughs> I'm 24 right. years old. Right. <laughs> I'm scrambling for something to say. My brain is like, you know, spinning a million miles an hour and I'm stumbling like, you know, like a, like an idiot. And I, and I, I finally said, well, 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 thank you very much. That's very kind of you. I, you know, I said it was a very traumatic experience and, you know, we, we, we did what we could, you know, and we hope it was enough. And he said, well, I understand that he is alive this morning. And uh, uh, the Burbank police department um, is very impressed with what happened. They saw how hard you guys were working when you got there, apparently when they got there. And they would like to publicize CPR and how important it is for people to learn CPR. So is there, you know, how would you and your crew feel about maybe appearing on the fantasy show? Uh, Peter Marshall will interview you guys and tell the story. The Burbank Fire Department will be there and uh, they'll probably give you a proclamation. And hopefully you can talk about how important it is to do CPR. Is that something 
you and your crew would be willing to do? And I said, I'm sure they would. I'll speak to them. I don't think it'll be a problem. I'm sure we can arrange that. And then he said, and tomorrow he said, I'm going to send you a little note. He said, I've, I've written you all a note. I'd like to send a note to you tomorrow with a little, a little, uh, you know, something from the network to show our appreciation. So you expect something to come tomorrow. You know? mm. And I hope to meet you soon. Thank you again for what you did yesterday. You know? And I hung the phone up and I thought, wow, that's incredible. You know, I just talked to the chairman of the board. He wants to meet me. <laughs> and, he, and he said, make sure you tell all your coworkers that I'm proud to be their coworker too. You know, so mm. I got everybody together. I told him what happened. The next day, we all got we all got bags from Tiffany's, wow. and in the bag from Tiffany was a little blue box with a ribbon on it, and a and a, a, a what they call executive stationery, a small like an A6 type you know, letterhead, and uh, which is an envelope with our names typed on the outside, and inside was a note that he personally signed, uh, saying that he was honored to be our coworker and so proud of what we did to save another human's life. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the box was Tiffany's famous round alarm clock, a brass. Mm-hmm. On the front was our peacock logo. You swung the face open to reveal the clock. And on the inside of the circle of the face was our name engraved. Wow. I mean, and, that... uh, the next, w- within a few days, we appeared on Fantasy, the five of us. Uh, we, uh, we, we, we did our little thing about CPR. They had a thing, they called it the money booth, where you go in, they turn the fan on, the money flies around, you grab as much cash as you can. They said Ooh. they wanted us to go into the money booth. They didn't tell us they were going to do that ahead of time. We were, that, we were all looking at each other like, oh, this is awful. You know, We didn't really want <laughs> But we did it. And uh, Mike Bandy, one of the pages went in. He got $700. When he came out, um, uh, Peter Marshall said, let's make it 1000 700 is not enough. Oh. And we ended up getting a check for you know, $200, $200 each. And wow. uh, for Nell Chapman, the famous uh, Channel 4 local reporter for Nell Chapman, that came and covered that event and then interviewed us outside the studio afterwards and appeared on the 4 o'clock news, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock news locally. Wow. And the press department picked it up and put it on the AP wire. And it appeared in something like 500 newspapers across the country. And my phone rang for a couple of weeks. People I went to college with and high school with years ago. Hey, I just read about you in the newspaper. Wow, oh, way to go, Barry. You know? So wow. it, was a, you know, it was a thing that kind of went on. And then a few months later, we were told to go down to Dodger Stadium. And we were given uh, Lifesaver Awards from the American Red Cross, signed by Ronald Reagan you know, at home wow. play. It was, oh, pretty, it was pretty overwhelming. You know? Wow. Overwhelming. Yeah. I, I'm like... You know, and again, it brings tears to my eyes. Like, and, and I, I mean, it's funny. My my first question was was how did you know CPR? Um, how I, how did you know it at that time? Yeah. Well, it turns out, you know, I I had been a I I I I had had a little experience in entertainment before I got to NBC. I, I got a job as an announcer in the Dolphin Show at SeaWorld. And when I was a sophomore in college at San Diego State and to work in the show because we were around the animals and in the water, we had to have paramedic training. And it, it took like four weeks. So oh, the first wow. four weeks, I was going three nights a week after work to, to a class where I was getting trained how to do tourniquet, deal with an amputation, uh, suction water out of lungs, uh, CPR, you know, uh, uh, major trauma, you know, because the park is kind of remote, you know, the, you know, if, when the paramedics come they're, they're it's a 10 minute run from the parking lot to where we are, you know? Right. So we had to be able to step in and start doing things. If there was a major incident, like an amputation or, you know, a biting or, 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 or something like that. So, right. so I had that training, you know, and it wow. came in handy one day, you know, it came in handy one day. You know? Wow. I mean, that I think is... a couple of the other pages, just real quickly, I think a couple of the other pages had been through an NBC CPR course in the year leading up to that. There had been some CPR courses yeah, on, right. on campus there. So the others knew how to do it from that. And then I, you know, I, I instructed the one that didn't. You know. It's an amazing, you know, it's funny because it, it's so cool on so many fronts. I mean, the fact that you knew CPR, the fact that you were there, the fact that you ran 
and didn't t- hesitate to take over and and direct you know direct the show uh in a matter of speaking um literally saved his life um you know it's it's pretty cool so well the unfortunate he he did he did survive his his widowmaker but he did pass away a week later and mm-hmm. he actually never fully regained complete consciousness i was mm-hmm. told it mm-hmm. turned out he had gone across the street to the liquor store next to the orange julius and bought a half a pint of vodka and a coors light on his break apparently mm-hmm. he snorted some coke chugged the vodka and chased it with a beer oh wow and, and that you know obviously he had a long-term probably problem and it led to you know his demise you know, with, wow. with heart trouble you know but wow. we did what we could you know and, and uh you know you know there just there are people it's a genetic thing you know some people run to trouble some people run away i, I think i'm one of those people who run towards it you know right wow. I, I do it without even thinking about it you know right. it just was the thing to do you know you look down and I wasn't going to stand there and twiddle my thumbs. You know? Right. And it, it's funny because I'm the same way. And I don't know, I don't know if uh, maybe, you know, and it sounds so silly, but, you know, having, having the DNA to like, you know, want to be a page to give the tours, to be out there and talk to people and blah, blah, blah. You know, maybe that's part of, you know, who we are uh, to, to, to get out there and take action. And, and, you know, I don't know um because i'd be this you know i i do the same thing i'm always i've always be the first one to be first one to, to do something but well, and I'll, you know, I'll also add you know that with, within a few months of grant tinker taking over everything changed in burbank i mean suddenly right. there was optimism there was hope oh, there was right. belief that we were going to get out of the, the cellar because we were the worst rated network in the history of television at that point we'd really mm-hmm. just crashed and burned under fred right. silverman Right. even worse than we were before. And and the first thing that Grant Tinker did is he went to each installation and had an all hands on deck meeting. So he came to Burbank within a few weeks, closed the door at Studio 4, everybody was inside. Mm-hmm. There was a microphone in the middle of the, of the studio with a spotlight. The five division presidents were on a dais with him uh, and a microphone. And he got up there and he said, I've been hired by the board of RCA to make this the number one highest quality television network in the history of network television. And we're gonna mm-hmm. do it in less than five years, but mm-hmm. we're not gonna do it and he points to the guys behind him. You're going to do it. Right. He says. And the right. first thing we're going to do is we're going to hear your ideas. So that yep. microphone in the middle of the floor is for you to go over and tell us what you think we should be doing. Who's mm-hmm. first? And right. everybody had yellow pads. Mm-hmm. And nobody was. everybody was afraid to go over. It took a minute before somebody finally went over. And they went over and they complained about something with the KNBC parking machine. <laughs> you know, it wasn't right. like, you know, and, and, and he turned around and he said, Bob Mulholland, did you write that down? Yeah. <laughs> And he didn't. And he said, oh, yeah, I got it. You know, and suddenly we're all looking at each other going, I think he's serious. Right. (laughs) This guy's he he actually cares about kind of turning the thing around. We all ran to our desks when the meeting was over. I remember we were like so motivated, you know, he he had a huge impact on the company and, and we did it in four years. I I don't even know what, you know, um, again, that that statement on many levels, you know, when you have a leader who leads that way and of course when you know when he says you know co-worker it makes a difference Absolutely. and and you know the fact is when these failing companies <clears throat> you know these failing companies wonder why they're failing you know i got an idea how about treat the employees with respect and listen to their ideas and actually i'm going to go out i'm going to be a jerk right now i don't think um one of the flag leaders uh in uh, soho ever got that memo uh, I'll just leave it at that. You know, um, uh, the, these guys, you know, don't let, you know, um, I was a manager and managed folks, you know, 
similar to that, you know, if 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 somebody said it's, you know, the 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 water isn't cold enough. Well, that's important to our employees and they're pissed off that the water's not we we're going to fix that or it's not bright enough or it's not clean enough or we don't have good food options or the door is broken or or our lockers are broken whatever it is it's important to the folks that you employ and if they don't have to deal with the bs of what's going on they could now focus on the job which you know turned nbc around you know um, so, you know, to his credit, you know, and leaders like that, unlike those folks in Soho, um, you know, that's what you need. Listen to your employees and value your employees. And perhaps those employees will shine and will actually do things for you that you never imagined and, and make you look good. Um, and that's what Grant Tinker did, you know, uh, and Over it's funny. his entire career, he was known as someone who would reach out to people that worked underneath them if there was a problem. Like their son got in a car accident, their husband died of a heart right. attack, right. Uh, something traumatic happened. You'd get a phone call from Grant. I heard what happened. How are you? What can we do? You know? Right. And when when you have that kind of compassion for people that work for you, they'll they'll walk on hot coals for you. You know, we walked on hot coals for Grant Tinker, and we ended up the number one network because of it. You know, and exactly. he empowered he empowered Brandon Tartikoff and Warren Littlefield and all the people in entertainment to do what they thought was the right thing to do. They didn't have to come to him or to Brandon to right. say that the idea was okay. They right. could develop an idea because they believed in it and he believed in them. Right. And Brandon That's Tartikoff, how we got Cheers. That's how we got right. Fantasize. That's how we got St. Elsewhere. That's how we got Hill Street Blues because we created an environment where those producers wanted to work with us because they knew that we weren't going to come back to them with script notes that says, no, this person's got to be a woman and this person's got to be 15 and a jerk. And, right. and we, we didn't do that anymore. you know. And we ended right. up with more quality television than we could even broadcast <laughs> we didn't have right. enough time slots for it you know it, no it's amazing i mean you're right all of you know the you know people don't understand especially and i've been on a bunch of those sides like you know the writer or or, or the the character or however you want to produce it you know is done for a reason and and it could be very subtle but when you have someone who doesn't have a clue telling you to do it a different way well, you've lost the magic, like the magic is in the details, you know, and it's and having someone who doesn't who's not creative um, make those decisions is literally what waters it down. And then, you know, winds up, you know, you have a show that that airs, you know, once and then it gets canceled. Right. Um, and it's funny because we all know that Seinfeld was was the Seinfeld Chronicles. David Letterman was a morning show. Uh, right. Two shows technically would have been canceled right away if it wasn't for the folks that believed in it and says, well, we have something here. Let's not <laughs> completely destroy it. Yeah. Um, so I do, you know, uh, it's just amazing. And again, uh, you know, for, for those listening, I mean, those are life lessons, you know, listen to your employees and, um, you know, uh, trust them. Care, yeah, trust them and care for them, you know. Um, One of the things I teach as a, a CEO coach is that, you know, I, I'll ask them, how, how many of your employees have you told them you trust them? Right. I mean, you said, I trust you. And they go, well, they know I trust them. No, how many have you told? Well, right. well they, no, you haven't told them. You got to tell them. It's a difference, right. you know, because if you tell them you trust them, they'll work twice as hard. They're trying right. to earn your trust and they don't know if they can. And then they right. give up. See, and right. he understood that. He understood that. Yeah. That was, one, and it, that was the and thing it, he understood. And, and again, you know, uh, yeah, I, I was the same way. I mean, I just, 
I had really good employees, you know, in one of my uh, career uh, uh, things and, you know, and, and just caring for them and uh, caring for them and let them and trusting them, they will do more than you'll ever want ever, you know, um, and it takes no extra anything, you know? Right. So, uh, yeah. So that, that's an amazing story. So uh, I guess there's a couple of things we'll, we'll just, you know, as we wrap up, I guess um, I just want to touch on a couple of quick things. You had mentioned um, Wayne Newton or, or, or <laughs> Wayne Newton. T tell me the, the Wayne Newton yeah. story. I know we're going back to Carson, but yeah. tell me some other, in yeah, we'll just, yeah. we'll touch on a couple of quick things. I can't remember now why Wayne Newton was, was suing Johnny Carson, but it was an insult, I think, or something. And so there was, a, it was known that, that Newton had filed a lawsuit and was trying to serve Johnny. So I'm, I'm running the Tonight Show as a supervisor and I'm called to a meeting in the green room Go, come back and the, the talent coordinator came and got me and said, go, Peter LaSalle and Fred and uh, and they want to talk to you, Bobby Quinn. There's something going on. Oh, I must have done something wrong. You know? And I go in there and they say, no, there's a guy in the second row. And they, they point him out. And they say, that guy, we think he's a process server and he's going to try to serve Johnny when he walks off the stage. He'll be walking right by this box. He's in the second row. We've sat him in the second row right off the aisle, you know. 20 feet from his, his desk, you know? So he says, your job will be when the show ends, we want you to come down the aisle and stand at the end of the row so he can't get out of the row. Because the mm -hmm. other end is a is a framed box of the, of the seating area and he'd have to climb over it. And that's where the police officer stands during the show. So he isn't gonna go that way. So, okay, we all agree on what's gonna happen, you know? And then they're gonna, the, the, Bobby Quinn's son, the, the stage director, Kevin Quinn is gonna, and a couple of guys are gonna score Johnny off so he can't get near him. You know? as, the, as we come back from commercial break, I run down the stairs. This is the final break. The show's going to end in about 30 seconds. And I stand at the end of the row and I look at the guy and he realizes he's been made. So he stands up and he's, he wants to go around me, but he can't. I tell him to sit down. The Burbank police officer is there. He tells him to sit down. Now Carson's about to walk by in front of him. So he reaches through the two people that are in the row in front of him and throws the paperwork um, past some people that are there. And it kind of lands near where Carson is going to walk by. He steps over the paperwork and goes out the studio door. At that point, the police officer jumps over the wall, grabs the guy, runs him down onto the floor, handcuffs him, and then takes him out into the lobby with the paperwork, and I go with him. So we sit him down outside, and the guy is saying, I served him. I served Johnny Carson. I served him. And the police officer said, let me explain something to you, sir. He says, I'm an officer of the court. And he said, okay. And he said, you have to hand the paperwork to Mr. Carson and he has to acknowledge his name. You did mm. not serve Johnny Carson. Now, these are your two options. He said, you can continue to insist that you serve Johnny Carson. I'll arrest you and take you down to the station and process you for trespassing. Or mm. he said, you can take your paperwork and go home and we'll call it a day. What's, what's your choice? Interesting. And so the guy went, well, I served him, but all right, give me that paperwork. Because <laughs> he didn't want to get arrested. And he wow. ran out the door. You know? Wow. So, so we prevented him from being served. I think eventually he was served and, and the thing got settled out of court. And... Yeah, I would imagine. It's funny because I guess I guess that is le legally, I guess you have to physically hand it to him and, and yeah. acknowledge that you're, are you Johnny Carson? Yes, you've been served, I guess. Wow. But and couldn't he have, um, well, I guess he wouldn't have tried to knock you over or or you didn't want, you didn't want to put your hands on him to stop him. He just, he. Well, and he, he wouldn't want to do that either. He right, not he just, serving yeah. something. He can't physically push me aside to serve it. That would get right. him in trouble. Right. And the way it was set up was there was the, the seating area had a wall 
that was just waist high in, in, in front of the first row. There was a step through to get onto the floor, but you couldn't just come out of your seat and walk onto the floor. You would have to go to the aisle to get to the floor. Right, right. So he was trapped in this little box area with a right. cop on one side and me on the other. You know? Wow. It's, a, it's funny. You, you seem to have gotten it. I mean, I, it, back, you know, in my day, we didn't, we didn't, um, you, you, you really got a lot of good, um, gigs. <laughs> it sounds silly, but you, you wound up being put on a lot of fun, different things. And again, that's because you're, 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 you're both, you know, the, the folks you work with obviously trusted, trusted you to, to do the job. And, um, you know, I, I, I do believe you sort of made your own way as a page, you know? Yeah. I think the, 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 the more you took it seriously, the more you, you know, follow the rules to some extent, everybody had fun, but you know, right. you were a good person, you showed up on time, you know, you, you, you know, you were polite to people, you were supportive, you know, it, it was good for you, you know, good things yeah. happened to you, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I, I took it seriously and I, I got some good assignments out of it. And I, I've been lucky in my life. I've been in the right place at the right time more than once and seemed to know what to do when I got there. And, uh, and so, you know, that happened to me more than once. But, you know, the, the truth of the matter is I would never have been an NBC page if it wasn't for John Mazur. John Mazur was my best friend in college uh, at the radio station. He, he mentored me in college. He got me into the department when I was turned down. Uh, and then when he got the job at NBC as a page, you know, when I got out, I called him and he arranged for the interview with Eva. I, I wouldn't have got the interview, I'm sure, without it. So. Wow. You know, anything I've accomplished in my life in this industry has to do with John Mazur. Fantastic page. He married uh -huh. uh, um, a, a fellow page and uh, together uh, they've had an amazing career. She went on to be the president of KCET television in Los Angeles and is now the president of Las Vegas PBS. And wow. John had a very long, successful career in spot sales for NBC and is, was well known on the NBC lot in Burbank because he ran the football pool every week. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. wow. And it got, it got out of control after a while. They told him to tone it down a little bit. <laughs> well, wow. he was very famous. Everybody knew him and, oh. and a great guy, just a wonderful couple. And I, I can't thank John enough for what he's done for me in my life. I, all, all of these stories happened because of John Mason. You know, and it's funny, you know, again, because we, in, in, in previous podcasts, I talk about um, sort of paying it forward and, and, and appreciating and, and, you know, networking and such. And, and again, one of the reasons, like I've always been for the folks back in the day, as insignificant as it was, every person that supported me, I'm like, so grateful for, you know, like, I'm, and the fact that you even just said it, you know, here, you've had all this great success, you've done all these cool things. But yet all these years later, you still understand that you know thank god for this guy and he you know helped you along your way and obviously you you turned out to be um you know worth uh investing in you know let's say but you know it, it and i think it's important i think that today in today's world and you know and i don't know what's going to happen you know going forward in in the world in general and, and you know but but a lot of the kids and and i guess we could talk from the entertainment side a lot of folks or people don't want to go in the office and they don't want to you know, they want to do everything, you know, at home and, you know, but it's like every single story that you've just told could not have been done at home. You know, there's not one of them. So, you know, being there and, and making friends and networking and having those experiences and listening to yeah. things yeah. that go on and I being know. in the studio, that's what your life is going to be like. And 30 years from now or 40 years from now, when, when kids are 20, you know, now, you know, they have to look back. And I and I've said this, you know, all the friendships and experiences that you're going to have 40 years from now are going to are from what you learned 
30, you know, a long time ago. Okay. So uh, again, in wrapping things up, I, there's a couple of other quick things I wanted to ask you about. Uh, I guess I mentioned Faye Dunaway's hairdresser uh, at the top of the show. What was that all about? Well, Jose Bear was a Colombian hairdresser, was very famous in the entertainment industry. He would actually appear on tonight shows, uh, or I should say on talk shows as a guest. So, you know, people like to interview him. He could be very flamboyant. And he drove a yellow Rolls Royce Corniche convertible. And uh, one day I was going to lunch as a page. I had my uniform on with my name tag on my blue Brooks Brothers three-piece suit. And I'm walking down the ramp. That's the artist entrance at, at NBC Studios. It's you, you can drive a car or a, a, a truck up this ramp to go into the studio building, or they roll sets up this ramp. And next to that is a door. You can walk into the studio through the door. You can walk up the artist entrance. There's two ways to get into the studio building. So I, I walk through these giant doors, and I see Jose Eber suddenly pull his yellow Rolls-Royce Corniche convertible like up the ramp, like he's going to drive in the door. And then he slams on the brakes, and he opens the door, he jumps out, he reaches into the back seat, he grabs a bag and he starts running towards me. He's got his Colombian cowboy hat on. I, I know exactly who he is, there's no mistaking him. And as he gets near me, he says, park it close by, I'll be right back. And then he just <laughs> runs right by me through the doors. And I realized he thought I was the valet. Wow. So I stopped for a minute and I looked around and I thought, eh, no, I'm gonna leave it. You know, Here's the doors open, the car's running. I looked over, my friends were on the commissary patio like trying to figure out what was going on and looking at me like, what's going on? You know? So I ran over there and I told him, I said, let's hang out for a minute and see what happens. You know, how long it'll sit there. You know? So I went and got some food. It was about 10 or 15 minutes. And finally here comes Jose and he's got Jack Grant, the, the property master. He runs the set on the tonight show. He's famous. You know, he's got Jack Grant with him. He's going, where's the valet? Where's the valet? He didn't park my car. <laughs> and Jack wow. goes, there is no valet, Jose. Oh yeah. There's a valet. I saw him. You know? He's gonna, you know, we're over on the floor, we're just rolling on the floor over the commissary, you know, and I'm trying to duck down because he kept looking over where we were, you know, and he didn't see me, but you know, I mean, it was just one of those ridiculous situations that you could never anticipate is going to happen. That's he didn't, he didn't have long hair, did he? Did he? Did he? Well, I think he did, but he kind of wrapped it up or something. He had it up and he put it up, but he had a ponytail with a hat on. Yeah, so somehow I think I know who that is. I don't know, which is so random, but that's yeah, funny. He appeared on tonight. He appeared on guest shows, talk shows. You know? So maybe, yeah, maybe that's that's maybe that's how yeah. I know. He was a character yeah. in his own way, you know. That's funny. Uh, and then you, we'd mentioned uh, George Goebel, uh, which yes. again he was a frequent guest on the Hollywood Squares, right? Often, right. Uh, and, and he was famous for the stories he told on the Tonight Show. He was an incredible storyteller, mm. joke storyteller. That was really his, his skill, you know. Right. And what was yeah. his deal? Did you, you? Yeah, I was I was assigned to do a limo run, pick him up at the airport and take him home. And uh, he came in on a 747 and apparently it was the pilot's last flight because as the plane pulled in, they showered the plane with water. That's the sign the pilots retired, you know. So I'm this is before 9-11. I'm waiting at the end of the ramp, you know, where he's going to come off the plane. And it takes forever. Everybody comes off first. 747, huge plane. Finally, I see him like coming up the walkway. He's, he's hobbling. He's got help from the flight attendants. And uh, he shows up to me and he says, I'm sorry. I said, I've got gout. I can't walk very well. Uh, I can tell he's had a drink or two, you know. And so I said, well, we'll get you to the car. You know, I'll hold here and I'll get a wheelchair. And he goes, wait a minute. I have to go back upstairs and talk to the pilot. I didn't congratulate him on his retirement. You know, I look at the flight attendants. They're going, no, no, no. You know? uh -huh. But they don't know what to do. It's George Goble. So they let yeah. him. He goes up the stairs. It takes forever. The pilot doesn't really want to talk to him, but he's as polite as he can be. We finally get him off the plane. I've got Dale St. John from Town and Country, a limo. And we get him into the car. The first thing he says is, how much time do we have? <laughs> 
And I've never had anybody say that to me on a limo run. You know? So I said to Dale, I said, Dale, how much, how much time do we have? He says, oh, no. he says, it's about 1130. He says, we got maybe about one. He says, oh, then we have time. He says, we have time to go by the Valley Inn in Sherman Oaks, have a drink. <laughs> That's with you so he knows you. <laughs> and i said well i don't I, I can't drink george i said but uh what do you think dale he said yeah we got time you know so we we put over to the valley inn it's right off sepulveda and and uh, and, and uh, ventura boulevard and apparently it's a storied place in the entertainment industry and we walk in the front door and there's a half a dozen character actors and stuntmen that i've recognized and they're all sitting at the bar it's noon <laughs> you know the bar's full <laughs> at noon you know these guys are all having you know their lunch so I look down the bar and suddenly I see John Schubeck. He's our 5 p.m., 4 p.m., 11 p.m. main news anchor. We just hired him away from KBC. It was a big deal. You know, he's got a boiler maker in front of him at noon. <laughs> and he looks down and he sees me and he knows me, not personally, but he recognizes me. I walk by him all the time in the hallway, you know, and uh, puts his head down immediately like, oh, I'm busted, you know. And then he pretty quickly, he made a, a beeline move for the back doors. And I guess he went to the bathroom. There was a doors that went into the dining room of the restaurant. And, and George is just going on. About 10 minutes go by. Suddenly, Schubeck comes flying through those doors and goes whizzing by me with his hand in front of his eyes. Hopefully, I don't recognize him. He can't see him or whatever. I didn't think much of it, but he was out the door so fast. There wasn't time to even say hello. Wow. <laughs> the sad part about the story is, of course, John Schubeck was fired within about a year or two for being for being intoxicated on the air. And eventually, oh, wow. he passed from alcoholism. He died of liver, cirrhosis of the liver. Oh, so it's really? Unfortunately, a very wow. sad story. I mean, we make fun right. of it here, but you know, it was a sad situation, but, you know, finally it was time to go and we, we gathered up George, everybody said goodbye and we, we got him out to the car. He needed a little bit of help. He was pretty intoxicated by now. And uh, I was told that he had a caregiver and we didn't get a block away from the restaurant. He fell asleep over in the corner of the limo and head against the window and started snoring. <laughs> it was only about five minutes to his house. I went up, rang the doorbells. The caregiver came to the door as a woman, probably in her early 50s. And I told her, you know, what was going on. That George had a couple of drinks over the valley. And so we all went out and we got him up and we, we got him into his room and we got him up on the bed. And she said, I'll take it from here. Wow. <laughs> He fell back on the bed and passed out and we went home. <laughs> it's so funny because, and again, you do these these limo runs, which I heard. So I guess we, we didn't have that in in New York. Um, so that was common that you guys would go pick up these celebrities and and which is so weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we would either we would either pick them up and take them to the airport or we would pick them up to the airport and take them home. That was typically all it was. It was just a it was right. an escorted ride, you know. And they were appearing apparently for the network in New York or doing something for publicity. So right. that's why so it's so funny. It's so interesting. Um, and then we'll quickly touch on a couple of things. Um, Mel Brooks and Mac Davis. Uh, yeah. Tell us about that. One of, one of the fun assignments I got was to drive around and give uh, color, little portable color TVs to people that had business with NBC. You know, So I had a Volkswagen Rabbit. You know, They loaded it up with these TVs that were all wrapped up and they gave me a list of people. You know, And, and two of them were, I had Johnny Carson, I had Mac Davis, and I had uh, Mel Brooks. And oh so Mac Davis and Johnny Carson live right next to each other in, uh, in Bel Air. Uh, Johnny's on St. Cloud and, and Mac was like one over. I rang the doorbell at Johnny's place and Joanne answered the door, his, his future ex-wife. And, Wait, and can we just pause? Let me just pause. Right. So let me get this straight. So as a page, they were like, here's a car. Here's a box. Here's a ton of TVs. Go to Johnny's house and just give him a TV. And then you were able to ring his doorbell. 
Yeah, it seems insane to me, but okay. So you can continue. So so, you know, she's polite. Thank you very much. You know, she doesn't say anything to me. So then Mac Davis is next. I go over and I pull in a huge house. You know, big. I mean, a driveway is the size of a high school. You know, and he's got cars all over the place. You know, it's ten car garage. (laughs) And he's out front with some older people. Turns out he's his parents. And I introduce myself. I've got this TV. How you doing? Are you are you a pay? Oh wow! You know, he just he couldn't have been nicer. He was asking me all these questions and meet my my mom and my dad. And oh, want to see my car collection you know and he said bring that tv over here so let's put that in my office you know i go inside he takes me into his office look up there's all his emmys and you know all his uh, grammys <laughs> just give me a tour of his house i'm just delivering the tv <laughs> wow that and went then, on for about four or five minutes and finally i said i gotta run he goes well it was great to see you i'm so glad you came in you know nice wow. to see you come back and see me again sometime <laughs> it just you know and again I, I, just a, a takeaway it just you know i have to say you know the fact that these folks were so nice and and you know if i if if anyone if anyone listening to this podcast takes anything away it should just be you know nice to the folks to everybody you know be be nice and you know it's it 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 makes life such a joy (laughs) you know um it's amazing and then and we'll finish it up and then i'm it um well you had mentioned um uh i guess the smothers brothers uh and i'll tell you a funny story about that but tell me about your tell me what happened with that I went to a private boys boarding school for seventh, eighth and ninth grade. It's in a little town called San Marino, actually where I grew up. It had been a military academy for a long time. And when I got there, they just converted it to a private boys boarding school. But I was told that the Smothers Brothers had been students there in the very early 60s. And uh, the headmaster had gone to school with them at the time. He was the son of the founder of the school. And he was in the school with them at the time, about the same age. So one day when I was working the Tonight Show, I looked up and it was the Smothers Brothers on the show. So I knew I had to go knock on their dressing room door at some point. You know, so I, I you know, a little before we did the run, I, I went and I knocked on the door and they opened the door and I think it was their agent was in there or someone that they worked with a business person. And uh, Dick was standing up and Tommy was on the sofa. And I said, I'm so sorry to bother you. I said, but is it true that you both went to Southwestern Military Academy? <laughs> and their jaws just went, <laughs> what? And Tommy said, did you say Southwestern Military Academy? I said, yeah. He goes, yeah, we did. I said, I did too. And they went, no way. You know? wow. And they're just like, wow, we've never talked to anybody that went to Southwestern Academy. You know? What do you do here? I said, oh, I'm just a, I'm a page. I'm a supervisor. I'm seating the audience. And I kind of, I work with a person that's managing your dressing room. And I'm just here to kind of supervise some stuff, you know. And uh, you knew Ken Veranda. Oh, yeah, Ken and I, we used to do blah, 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 blah. You know? I mean, I talked yeah. to him for four or five minutes, maybe six minutes. And I said, listen, I don't want to take any more of your time. I just had to come back and say hello, you know, because I knew we all had something in common, you know. How, how's your about face? He goes, I can, Tommy said, I can still make one. <laughs> really? Wow. That's, and again, it's just, just from, you know, for those listening, you know, just about life and stuff you know um you know the 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 windows of opportunity are are limited you know and and here it is you know they're on the show you there was a there was something that you had in common and you just you know let me let me knock on the door and again you know in your career or other career other folks that may have similar careers or just opportunities you know people may hesitate and not say well i'm not going to knock on their door because they'll think i'm crazy but if you go through life not knocking on those doors, you, you'll you never know what lies on the other side. So, you know, just, you know, seizing those moments um, is 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 a thing that that um, I encourage everybody to do. You know, um, it's so cool. And 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 quite frankly, uh, it was uh, ironically, I went to something called NatB, which is a television convention every sure. year in Miami. Yeah. And I'm setting up my booth. 
and who the hell is standing who, who's in the booth next to me the smothers brothers it was actually one of them i don't i to be wow. honest with you i don't even know which one wow. it was to this but of course and again i'm you know depending on how old you are like i knew who they were yeah. and i knew they were a big deal i'm a little bit uh younger so you know back in the heyday when they were really famous but there he's standing there by himself and and talk about taking opportunity you know i could be i'm not gonna walk i walk right up to him and i'm like hey what's going on and i asked him and he literally tell tells me what he was doing was that him i guess it was either is this a, both of them alive at this point I yes I, they're still alive yeah so i'm not sure if it was both of them but they were doing like interstitials where they were going to record special moments or something interesting that they were going to run in between like uh in in newscasts like in between breaks or something they that's what they were pitching you know at this at this television convention but again you know he's standing there by himself you know like just standing there and i'm like oh my god it's you know one of the smothers brothers let me go let me go chat with him tell me about betty white and share i guess those are the only two other things uh we'll talk about well, when you're when you're when you're running page crews on game shows and things, you know you 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 see the talent a lot because your 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 key page is is there at the studio door and, and working with the talent if they need assistance. So you you kind of interact with them a little bit, and you know there are just certain performers that didn't ever stay in the dressing rooms. You know mm. they wanted to be out on the floor talking to the crew or hanging out and just being social, and that was absolutely Betty White and and Cher. You know Betty was never in her dressing room; she was always in the hallway talking to the key page or talking to the pages out while they were seating the audience you know she just mm -hmm. like and she always brought her mother with her. and we got used to having her and her mother we would take care of her mother you know sit her in the front row so she could watch the taping and and she was just she just and once she knew your name she always said hello to you you know she's mm -hmm. just exactly like you see her on tv and i can remember you know i used to watch password as a young boy you know yeah and and it was so obvious when betty white was on that she had a thing for alan you know they were obviously a couple you didn't have to know you could mm. just tell by the way they looked at each other in their eyes you know mm. and and i just always thought she was so cool you know what a cool person she is you know and then one day i'm working with her i mean it's just like you know puts it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand you know to, wow. to experience her her incredible joy and kindness you know it's just wonderful you know? and Cher was also very cool she was a little more aloof she wasn't quite as uh you know talkative as betty was but uh, mm -hmm. but uh, she liked to hang out and talk to the crew and she would always make fun of something something go wrong and she'd make a wisecrack she liked to wisecrack a lot and, mm -hmm. and uh, she she would remember you if she saw you there she was she was on the lot quite a bit she made a lot of special appearances singing and performing you know on wow. different shows that where they would have guest stars and stuff so she would be on the lot pretty regularly and wow. appearing on the TV show too right and again just just sort of a life lesson you know uh, it's just amazing. You know, you have these, you know, Betty and Cher and, you know, just it just seems and, and Grand Tinker, you know, all these folks seem so um, happy to engage and be out there and to make, you know, make friends and make people feel good. And, you know, it, it it's again, it's no mystery why these people became very successful. Exactly. Um, you know, there's a reason for it. So, you know, again, for those listening, you know, the life lessons is, you know, get out there, you know, make friends, you know, network, care about people. Um, you know, it makes a big difference and it makes a big, it makes a big difference in the people that you, that you touch. Um, you know, and the fact that, that you as a page were able to be on the receiving end and giving in on, on both is amazing. I was fortunate to grow up in the restaurant business. My dad Ooh. built 10 restaurants in Southern California. I was washing oh, wow. dishes when I was about nine years old. Oh, and, wow. you know, my dad was like Grand Tinker. He was very compassionate with his employees 
took a personal interest in their lives, knew every customer's name on a first name basis. We had six restaurants. It wasn't easy right. to do, you know, right. but I knew how to treat people. You know, I was taught how to treat people from a very young age. So right. it made it easy for me when I got around these people, I wasn't intimidated and I knew how to just be comfortable talking to them, you know, because, because they were just normal people that happened to be famous. You know, they weren't, they weren't famous people who were normal. They were normal people who were famous. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> You have to remember that. So I, I just found it very easy to talk to them. And I, and I it was just, it was easy for me to do. I was, I was comfortable doing it. You know? Right. And I think they appreciate that because again, they, you know, it depends on how you go. The the celebrities, if they're fawned all over all the time, they, it's hard for them to just go get a hamburger. You know, they just, they just want to, you know, they just want to be normal. So when well, you treat them, you know, it's, it makes it life, makes their life actually easier. Yeah. I'm a big believer in the, the saying that, you know, people will forget what you say, but they won't forget how you make them feel. Yeah. And I've, yeah. I've always practiced that from a very young age. You know? mm. I, I take a personal interest in people and I try to find out what's interesting about them and then, and then share my appreciation of that. You know, that, that's, yeah. that, that's positive energy that people will feed back to. Right. I totally agree. I totally agree. Wow. Well, this has been fantastic. I, I can so many interesting stories. I mean, really fascinating. Um, it just, you know, I, I hope listeners that I feel like I've uh, taken a taken a long journey with you and listened to all these stories. So amazing. Um, so I really can't thank you enough. Um, fantastic. And, and really, uh, just such a pleasure to uh, for you to take us a moment to chat with us today. Well, thank you, David. It's an honor to be on your show. And it's always an honor to talk about being an NBC page and sharing my experiences. So uh, it's really been a pleasure uh, to to reminisce a little bit. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Terrific. Thank you much. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Barron. Thanks for listening to A Page in History. A Page in History is produced by David Harris Katz Entertainment. For more information on our television shows, syndication, and more, go to dhcats.com. And to listen to more episodes of A Page in History, or if you've been lucky enough to call yourself one of the world-famous NBC pages and would like to appear on the show, go to apageinhistory.tv.